Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I ring in the new with our first podcast of 2015. Today, we talk about Sandman Overture Number 4, The Image Expo, IDW's Purchase of Top Shelf, Superman 37, our upcoming Fantastic Four read-through, The Ant-Man trailer, Rogue Trooper, Last Man Standing, and much, much more. Speedy show notes await you at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeffrey Lester. Graham McMillan. So listen, listeners, secrets behind the podcast time. Jeff and I have just talked for like half an hour, because, you know, that's what we do. Um, <laughs> and... I for- completely forgot, Jeff, to say Happy New Year to you. This was the first time I was actually talking to you in 2015, even though we've emailed back and forth. Yes. And I didn't say it. So, Jeff, Happy New Year. Thank you, Graham. Happy New Year to you. It says something terrifying about the schizophrenic schism developing in our personalities that it never occurred to me when we were talking off-air. And as soon as this on-air call started, I'm like, gotta wish him Happy New Year. Right there, right up front. <laughs> See, I, I wish that I had actually had that level of foresight. I caught off the call and I was like, motherfucker, I'm a rude bastard. No, I... I, I, uh, I, I apologize. faster than I, I was. I apologize to you. <laughs> I apologize to the listeners. You all deserve better. But, you know, see, this is the thing that I think is great, is like... Um, it could be that we were so... Tr- we were trying so hard to be... Um, Organized, which the two of us intend, which somehow I think we generally are individually, but together. Oh, speak for yourself. I'm the most disorganized person. I can't, I don't believe that, by the way. I want, I want to believe oh, that in uh, some oh, cases. No, Jeff, I, I really am. I'm really disorganized. <laughs> you should say that to Kate. Kate will laugh in your face. Yeah. If you tell her that you I, I'm vaguely organized. Yeah. yeah. I'm not. I'm married to the most organized person on the planet, which there's probably some sort of like spill. Over that makes me look more organized than I am. I'm incredibly disorganized. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to admit that, that uh, I also benefit from the from the uh, marrying up organization wise. But uh, yeah, I I um I don't know. In any event, I, it, like I said, never even crossed my mind. It was the instant that we started. So if it makes you feel better, Graham, you at least are a real person. When you're off air. For me, it's obvious I'm only real now in the artifice of you and I talking on the podcast and my belief that people are listening to us. That's the only time now I can be a decent wow, human that, being ever. That's that's much more of a secrets behind the podcast than I, I was <laughs> Right, exactly. Secrets behind hey. the podcast. Graham's like, I didn't wish Jeff a happy new year. Jeff, I'm a sociopath. <laughs> happy 2015, listeners. <laughs> Start as you mean to go on. <laughs> oh man. Oh well, there you go. Hey, as we're recording, as yes. well, listeners, uh, it's the Thursday before you listen to this, unless you listen to it like a week after we put it up. In which case, never mind. Um, it is the Thursday of Image Expo. Yes. Um the the most the, the most wonderful time of the year. I think we'll have to admit <laughs> that you know the holidays. The holidays are fun and all. But do they involve Eric Stevenson standing on a platform and introducing comic creators, introducing their projects, which may or may not come out in the next 12 months? 
Oh my god! I, I don't think so. See, this is the thing. Now, were there two expos last year? Because there were. I did. I so I know I I said this on the the internet, but I'm not sure if I actually so like said this directly to you. I made a list of all the image projects that were announced at previous expos, which still have not come out. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you this? No, no. I, there, I, there are still two two from the 2012 expo that haven't come out. Really? Yeah, oh, there's okay. one from the 2013. There is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight from the January 2014. Mm-hmm. And three, four, five, seven from the July 2014. Wow. Uh, once that haven't come out. So it, it's kind of hilarious because, you know, the expo is obviously meant to be, I'm so excited about this, you know, so-and-so's working on a comic. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part of me is also like, don't get too excited. Because you actually have no idea when it's going to come out. It's true. It's true. Like, there is a little bit of that, like, I'm really glad that Brandon Graham's returning to the stage. But I'm also like, I we haven't seen any of those things yet, have we? So, well, I mean, I, something that thought was so funny was some of the announcements today, because I was reading along with this coverage online, like mm-hmm. live coverage. They were talking about, like, so-and-so re-announced this comic. Yes. Which is like wonderfully, hilariously passive aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Bradley Graham reannounced State House. Yes. Yeah. Jeff, uh, James Robinson reannounced Airboy, mm-hmm. which he announced a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think this is something that um, I, I, I mentioned at the, the very tail end of our either our last podcast or the best of podcast. Um, in other words, one of the previous two, which which is the idea that on the one hand, you know, it's very easy to sling around the golden age of comics uh, talk, um, but I'm a I am a little bit worried about the idea that hmm, that these that in the past when we've had steps forward in creator owned material, such as with the birth of Image you know, way back when, or even Tundra before it, um, there is a huge, there is a painful step back that, that happens when people start promising more than they're shipping, you know? And, and that's one of the things that I really worry about here to, to use a non DC, um, compare, I'm it's not DC. Whoops. <laughs> Gave yeah, that one I, away. I'm looking forward to where you're going with this, chat. Yeah. <laughs> to give a non-image uh, uh, analogy, uh, I was at the store the other week, and Sandman Overture was there. <laughs> oh, man. Issue four. And I, I had exactly uh, that reaction. I, I laughed I out loud get, when I saw it. I still get mailed the, the comps for mm-hmm. Sandman Overture because – so for people who – for people who don't get DC Comics, which is probably everyone listening, yeah, or the majority of people you, listening. Graham. This is um, DC tends to send you the first three issues mm-hmm. of something. They're like, you know, first issue, obviously, we want to get a break promotion. And then they generally send you a couple of issues afterwards yeah. to remind you that it exists. That's, that's a great idea. And also, like, if you like it, because sometimes it's hard to tell in the first issue, it allows you to really... Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for some an overture, I got four in the mail. Mm-hmm. And it, it struck me, they they actually genuinely think I've forgotten this comic exists. And they're probably right. Right. Exactly. And here, here's the thing. I have, because of that, the first, like, the four issues that have been published of Sam and Overture. Mm-hmm. I have not read past issue one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, see, this is it. I read issue one. I know I read issue two. 
issue three, and this is just one of those weird ways my brain works. I don't know if I read it or not. Like, and I read issue four, and and when I say read it, I mean I just was in awe of the gorgeous art. But every time I tried to tune into the story, and this is one of the things that's great because I never read all of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. I have absolutely no idea when he is pulling stuff out of his butt or not. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I, I. I the whole idea that Simon Overture is some sort of like, you know, hey, people, you can get into comics with this. Is it not literally like a massive prequel? And is it not sort of reliant on having read the later stuff? Yeah, I mean, that's it. It is It is a prequel that is um, that is fan service, as far as I can tell, of a very deep kind. A deep and abiding sort of sense of, of fan service. I mean, because it is like, hey... Here's Morpheus as a cat. You know what I mean? And there's, there's, I have to say, the way that, uh, J.H. Williams draws that cat. I'm like, that's phenomenal. But there is also, when we got to this issue, I'm like, okay, I'm 80% sure that most of what this stuff revolves around are previous plot points or images or callbacks to stuff I have not read. And yet, weirdly, there was also something about it that's kind of, um, I wasn't entirely sure. So, yeah, there is a way in which I'm like, Sandman Overture, I do not think is really... I don't know if anyone's touting it as a great way to get into comics, but if they are, that is that is a huge I, mistake. I am fairly sure that DC did when it was announced the first time. Mm, mm-hmm. And by that, I mean... I mean, when was it announced the first time? We'll see that. 2012, yeah. maybe? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that... Because it was announced significantly before the release of the first issue. Not that significantly. It was only like six months. In fact, that was the thing that was problematic, is they announced it pretty, like, as soon as they had that first issue in the can or something. I think they made an executive decision to roll with it. I think you're very wrong on that, Jeff. Well, I certainly would defer to you uh, when it comes to comic news. I want to say that it was announced a full year before the first issue came out. See, maybe that could be it, but I sort of have feel my problem is, is I remember thinking that the problem wasn't the, 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 the delay between the announcement and the first issue. The problem was, it was like practically a full issue, a full year between issue one and issue two. And I thought that was the problem. That kind of pointed to the idea that they were like, oh, we got the first issue in. We're going to be rolling on this. We're not going to sit and wait for the rest of the issues. And it's a shame because if ever there was a project that deserved to get all of its issues in the bag and then have it published, like seriously, I think if this had been published monthly, you know, if nothing else, the quality of the art would have just been... Been blowing people away, yeah. Yeah, I mean... What, what's... Okay, two things. One, I've just looked into it. It was announced the year before it was released. More okay. than a year, in fact. Mm-hmm. It was announced at uh, Comic-Con 2012, and the mm-hmm. first issue didn't come out until September 2013. Okay. And that, is, uh, that is over a year. But also, think about it. September 2013, and we're in issue four in January 2015. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, DC also sent the version of issue one. Mm-hmm. Do you rem- so you know they did like a regular version and then they tried to double dip because it was originally going to be a bi-monthly book. Yes, and it was going to be regular edition, then the following month special edition, then the regular edition, the next issue, then the special edition, the next issue, yada yada. Oh. Um, in the special edition of the first issue, mm-hmm. 
J.H. Williams has a, this is what I was listening to when I was drawing the book, mm-hmm. playlist, but it's dated. So you can actually see the days he was working on the book. Wow. And you can see from that that he, basically he got fucked by Neil Gaiman. Oh, did he? Because <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, April through June. And then it's like, you know, August. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's a massive chunk in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> He's just not working on the comic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he, but he, it does look like his he was working on it relatively for a small amount of time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, I, considering Gaiman has also taken uh, responsibility for the, the, the series being laid. Right. Uh, um, it's clear that, like, J.H. Williams is drawing his little heart. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of doing it completely unsupported by Neil Gaiman, who... I don't know what to say he's calling it in, but well, okay. maybe he's calling it in. <laughs> so here's the thing that I think is interesting is on the one – it dep- to me, I would sort of almost want to see those scripts in the, in the sense that the story for me feels incredibly called in. I have never been so aware, and maybe this is just m- mistaken thinking on my part, but – of a writer trying to attune himself so much to what an art to what an artist's strengths are and figure out how to work in them best you know like anyway for me i just think that even this issue that, i was that, like that's interesting cuz part part of me was reading a lot of it as jh williams is just taking a lot of liberties and has been given space to do so could be could be I mean, it could be, but I don't know. I feel like what issue was it? Issue was issue two, the one with the gatefold, or was that issue one with the gatefold and all yeah, the different morphies in the various styles? That struck issue, me as someone. One. Yeah, that that looked to me like something that somebody who had, uh, you know, had had seen Williams' other work was kind of like, oh, okay, you know. But I, but you're right, and I, I could absolutely totally be wrong. And also on top of the stuff that I think is pretty phenomenal in Sandman Overture. I, I have to say the um, some of the storytelling that is going on over in Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier uh, is pretty phenomenal too in sort of that similar, like so organic seeming that it's really hard to imagine that there's a, a scripter separate from the artist, you know? Mm. So. It has to be said, the, the Winter Soldier series is uh Almost like, oh, look, it's Sandman Overture on a schedule. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although yeah. I say that, I think it might have actually slipped up schedules. <laughs> <laughs> but nowhere near as bad as Sandman Overture. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it might be a couple of weeks off, but I don't, it's not, you know, for example, more than a year off. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and you know, I have to say, uh, right here now, uh, very quickly, I know we're talking about Image Expo-y stuff and, and scheduling. Well, actually, let's turn back to that. Let's turn back to scheduling before I start skipping down the merry path of my own digressions. Shipping. I think it's going to be a problem coming up for Image in, in well, 2015. Yeah, that, that, see, I'm not sure shipping is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, Distance between solicitations is going to be a problem. Mm. I think everyone involved is smart enough to not solicit something until they are vaguely confident that they can get it. Yes. But I also think that that might mean that you will get a lot of people following the saga route of 
you do a burst of issues, you take a lot of time off, you do another burst of issues. Well, a lot of Which, time off is only like, what, three or four months in the case of Sokka, or has it ever been longer sure. than that? No, I think, I think you're, I think you're right. Right. Uh, but, but in terms of time off the shelves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that does, that does ratchet up. And I think that if, I, I think that Sokka's pushing it, to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. I think that three months might be the longest you can really do it without people not forgetting about your comic, but but, but totally not. Pre- pre- yeah, pre- pretty deadly two was mm-hmm. announced at, at Image Expo, mm-hmm. um, and I I I mean I was pretty cool on the book to begin with. Yeah, but I I was very like oh it's a second you know. It's the second arc of the book that launched a year ago. Mm-hmm. You know, why should I care? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On it, and I think there's, I think there's always that risk. I think there's always the risk of, oh, that again, right? And I, I, I think if you don't keep up the momentum, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Well, we'll see. I think it's an ongoing process. Of course, something like Saga seems to be seems to have worked into a pretty good engine. It helps that they mention the breaks up front and that they're they're baked in. Interestingly, I feel that that worked better when essentially Brian K. Vaughn's only other work that was coming out was The Private Eye. You know, the idea that people are going to be like, well, wait a minute, why are we having to wait three or four months in between six issue gaps when, when Vaughn's got, you know, three or two or three additional ongoing series that he's, that he's added, you know, (laughs) and who knows, maybe they'll just, I mean, part of me is kind of like, it seems to me that the gap between solicits, especially if. If it's honored by the creators and they come back when they're going to, if there is the heat to the book so that people that essentially the retailers can continue to hand sell the trades and build up traffic for something that they know is going to be coming back and is big. Now, clearly that model's not going to work for everyone. Well, yeah, it's... like that model definitely works for some. Mm-hmm. But I think you can't look at Saga as being the norm. I well, think no. Saga's quality and success are both abnormal. Yes. Although, and again, I, I also feel that unfortunately, Pretty Deadly was far too uneven a book to, to for it, unfortunately, to be... No, but also, like, Pretty Deadly's been gone for a while. Well, that's it. Know. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. It should have been back by now. They shouldn't be announcing that it's coming back. It should be back by now if it wants to 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 be to keep the viable. Momentum, yeah, exactly. Because I think at that point, when it's like, oh yeah, no, it's going to be coming back in a year, and here's three other projects that Emma Rios is doing. At that point, it becomes uh, oh, okay. So this project is is either it's you know it. The less charitable way of viewing it is is it just didn't do what you guys wanted it to, well, and that, you both kind of... And know. I think, to to use a different example, Casanova, I think, has really suffered from that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That Casanova's coming back, I think, at the end of this month. It's already been delayed, so it might not be this month anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's supposed to launch at the very... Like, it was supposed to be out yesterday. Oh, interesting. And, and then I think it could push to... I want to say it's the last Wednesday this month, but it might be it might be later. Mm-hmm. Um, but Casanova, 
I don't know. Casanova at this point, especially with Sex Criminals and Satellite Sam and Odyssey running, mm-hmm. almost feels like an afterthought for Fraction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, which makes I don't, I I'm trying to think of a, a way to say this. It almost makes it seem like if the creator doesn't care about it that much, then why should I? Right. Right. But of course we don't which, necessarily which know, but yeah, well, but exactly. I totally like, get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it's it's putting so much uh it's reading so much into everyone involved's intentions. Right. Right. Um, well, and I, I I think that part of it is also Casanova has a very odd publishing history anyway. It does. It's got an odd publishing history. It also has um its ambition the sort of the way it's the way I know that if I remember from you hearing from you fractions um, ambition for it with the separate books based around was it seven deadly sins yeah uh, is is also a very ambitious one as well I think what I find problematic is is that none of them are really they're not a standalone experience you know what I mean and so there I think there is something to be said for that weird feeling of having enough of a complete experience, you know, in, in a trade paperback that you're willing to put up with a delay of a couple of years before the next one. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think that, I think that people, you know, I don't, I, the first time the James Bond film producers decide that they're going to break a James Bond story into two parts or three parts, a la Harry Potter or the Hunger Games is going to be the time when it that's going to kill the franchise. You know what I mean? Like there are certain things that are set up to be like, you have it in one nifty little gulp or whatever, you know, like the Parker books by uh, Darwin cook. I think even when I'm sort of frustrated with say the quality of the last book, that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, I can have a huge chunk of time pass in between the books and still be overall excited. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think with Casanova, there's a little bit of the weight trying to get emotionally reinvested in the characters and, or remember where they are, because that's the unfortunate thing too, is I don't feel that there's always a situation where, um, you, you, I, I just don't have faith that, that the creators are even going to bother to try and catch me up when they return after three full years. Oh, you know? Oh yeah. I I'm saying, oh, because in the break. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to see the last Hobbit film, uh-huh. uh, and I th- I'm pretty sure we've talked about this in the podcast before. I'm not a massive fan of them, but mm-hmm. Kate is, right? And so I've seen them all. <laughs> uh, was especially because like they play at the Baghdad, which means it's cheaper. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like you can go and have dinner and the whole thing, and it's still <laughs> like twenty dollars, right? Um, but. I maybe slept through the entire second one. God knows. Because <laughs> when the third one started, I had no fucking idea. Right. Like, none. Mm-hmm. And there is no attempt at a story so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatsoever. It starts in the middle of the story. Mm. And there's no attempt to introduce you to the characters or the situations or whatever. It starts and there's a fucking big dragon who's attacking a city. And, like, you know, you get the moral comeuppance for a character who has not been introduced. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. And so you're like, this is like this might be a great payoff for something I don't remember. Like I recognize that it's meant to be a payoff. Right. Because I recognize the storytelling trope. Yes, exactly. But I have no idea what it's paying off. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's 
it's that it, it's a really interesting weird experience because mm-hmm. i spent maybe the first half hour of that film being like i have no fucking idea what's going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like and i'm i can't even enjoy this film because i have no idea what's going on after a while you're like okay so like there's a there's the hobbit mm-hmm. that's martin freeman he's he's a good guy right. i understand that there's gandalf like the these you know impossibly handsome men are apparently the dwarfs <laughs> uh you know, they're they're the heroes. He's obviously being corrupted because they're giving him this like scary lighting. The whole thing, right? Uh, and you 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 gather it, but for the first half hour, I was just like, "What the fuck is this?" Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I know the dragon is bad because he's setting fire to kids. That <laughs> like beyond that, right? I, I don't I don't know who these guys are at right. all. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. this this is not Martin Freeman. This is not Ian McKellen. Mm-hmm. These aren't the impossibly handsome men. I am I am lost i don't know who you who you guys are are you literally just cannon fodder who have been created to be destroyed by the dragon right i don't what is happening um and casanova <laughs> is not i i feel really weird about the fourth casanova series because it's i feel that the third one ended on the the biggest cliffhanger of the series to date mm-hmm. uh which is a shame because you then had however like three four years it, it seems like it's been a really, really long time. Let's put it that. Um, way. It's got to be three. It can't be four. That's that's way too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if they don't try and have a story so far, mm-hmm. but then maybe they won't because they're doing the collections. Like maybe they're just going to assume that everyone read is reading the collections. Sure. Like who would be who's foolish enough to walk into this without having read the previous ones? And I get that. I totally get that. But, In a way, but that's, it makes sense. But that's but... the whole. That's the whole thing of. Mm-hmm. That's what Lord of the Rings said. Lord of the Rings clear, or not? Sorry, The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. The Hobbit clearly, clearly was of the mindset of who would come and see this film if they haven't seen the previous films, right? Well, and more to the point, like who's who had who's coming to see this film who didn't bother to rewatch the first two on video before walking in the door? Practically, you know, video. <laughs> you, as a catch-all term, fucker, you know what I mean. Exactly. How is 1984, Jeff? <laughs> God damn it, Graham. We. <laughs> oh man. Um. Yeah. So I. I don't know. I just. I feel that. I mean, here's the thing. As as much as I think that disappearing for months on end can hurt the momentum and ultimately hurt the series, mm-hmm. um, it's still better than soliciting and then not shipping, isn't it? Uh, yes. I think it's better than soliciting than not shipping. And frankly, I, as I think you and I have talked about, looking back and realizing how many of my favorite books in comics in the 70s and even the 80s a little bit when I was growing up were bi-monthly books, and I did not recognize that, you know? And you got some great stuff out of that you know the the the, the whole concept of monthly as like the set schedule is a publishing convention but doesn't exactly but but doesn't exist beyond that do you know what i mean like it takes however you know whatever schedule is whatever schedule yes in theory whatever schedule is whatever schedule but see and that's it Uh, of course unless you're like non-player right (laughs) but i but i do think there is something to to that idea of like for me like I'm kind of like you know monthly with a break or bi-monthly is great when you if you're if you're doing monthly with a break and then your issues sh- start shipping late 
that is, that's a huge concern. I know stuff comes up for people all the time, you know, that isn't cooked into it for the creators, but it's just, there's, I think there's a very thin membrane of faith built. I, I, I'm going to remind you of this conversation and laugh when we end up having to do a skip week. <laughs> you are the cruelest bastard ever. Well, okay, but let's just say, here's something. You and I, in theory, could actually right now tell people about a skip break that we know is going to be going on. You know, sure. I, you know, and oh, I, wait, I... Wait, we should. Yes. Because, you know, I mean, like, that's, that's kind of dickish to be like, we know something's coming, we're not telling you. Um, February is going to be a weird month. We're still going to do three episodes a month, but it is going to be off schedule, which will be weird because by that point, we'll have had the new schedule for a month. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, our plan is essentially that we're going to do three episodes on weekly intervals and then take a skip week. Yeah, but exactly. But because of February, it's going to be three episodes and then I think two skip weeks. Huh? Three episodes and then two what? Is that what it is? Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> Trust me, Jeff. All right. Okay. Okay. Take your word for it. But yes, we'll 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 figure that out more. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yes. I, uh, here's a question for you then. Yeah. Would you rather have bi-monthly? Uh, or would you rather have monthly with a break? I would rather have bi-monthly. Um, because bi-monthly is – and I get why this would not necessarily fall into other people's schedules as much. Um, but for me, bi-monthly, two months, is about the length of time that a book, <laughs> even stays one that I'm brain. enjoying, yes, yeah, stays in my brain. You know, anything longer than two months um, – it, it at that point I start having serious cognitive problems. Like there's just, even though I have a sub list at uh, at Comics Experience, I'm somewhat picky about what I put on that sub list. And so there's a good chunk of times where I go into the store, and this happened last the last time I went, is like, you know, uh, Doug turned around and handed me like maybe three comics, you know, and then I went and plucked another. 12 off of the shelves, you know, things that, that I just don't, can't quite commit to, to following. Um, and yet I also need them there to be able to, um, to, to have them ring my chimes bells. The other thing, the flip side of this is, and I think this might be different if I were buying digitally, but for me, I'm not organized enough to, have all of my, it's like, I've got a big stack of issues right here on the table behind me. I'm going to go and carelessly shove them into a short box, you know, when this podcast is over, so I don't have to break them out for examples or whatever. I don't turn around and alphabetize those and sort them by title or something like that. So if there's a four month break, um, on something like sex criminals and I come back and read it, there is a very good chance that I will not remember what happened to the last issue or two or something exactly. Like I'll have a little bit back when I was a kid, there was never any problem with this, you know, but now that I'm older and if I had the digital issues, because I keep almost everything that I purchased digitally on, on the iPad, it's pretty easy for me to open it up and be like, Oh, okay, let me read the last, you know, three or four issues and get caught up. But I can't really do that with print comics in the way. Um, and for me, I'm just like, 
man, you guys have the inside of your page. I, you know, your, your inside cover is, is not ads. Can't you put in like an actual summary? And frankly, um, something like well, sex criminals, well, which does yeah. helps tremendously to me. It really does. It helps tremendously. Um, did you watch, uh, you must have watched all of the second season of The Wrong Mans, right? Yes, I, yeah. Did I watch it all in one sitting? Yes, I did. Oh, interesting. Edie and I, us being dopes, was like, oh, gosh, they didn't add, they only added four episodes? I guess we'll wait till the next two. Oh, well, we'll just start watching <laughs> one and a night. like, wait, turns out it's only four episodes. Yeah, long. exactly. Um... So one of the things that I thought was really funny were, you know, is the risk that you run in doing recaps is like by the last episode of The Wrong Mans, some of the stuff that they were including in the recap clearly pointed toward what was going to be. Oh, that's that's always happens. Mm-hmm. I I want to say I wrote about that for io9 once. I wrote about it for somewhere once, mm-hmm. uh, which is recaps are a killer in television because it pretty much points to what's going to happen in the episode. Yes. Oh, their, 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 yeah. their selection of what scenes they show, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I guess that's going to be a thing. And if you're ever binge watching a show, yes. it's really, it's it's distractingly obvious. Yeah. Yeah, because exactly. See, and um, what show is it? I think it's Friday Night Lights. Uh, mm. has recap footage that isn't in the actual episodes as well. Oh, wow. Which which is also crazily distracting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that like is people will say different things. Yes. I remember and that happening out. in Battlestar Galactica and, and us being like, wait, 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 what the? That wasn't, no. That's the exact opposite of what happened, wasn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. always fun. Yeah, I, and you're like, oh, I, 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 I know too much. Yeah, but I do think that despite running the risk of it, I think that if you're not going to have a monthly publication schedule, you have to figure out ways to address. Well, I think th- that gap. It, I think doing it in comics is there's an easier way of addressing that gap than there is in doing it in television because you don't have to work with the scenes that exist. Yes. Like you, you, you have a different format for doing it. I mean, television could as well, mm-hmm. but the television recap format is here are clips of previous episodes. Yes. That, that's just what they do. That has been accepted by everyone at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas comics doesn't have, I mean, with the exception of the Hickman comics, I can't think of any comic that does just do a, Previously, and all it is is the previous issues, which I actually think is kind of clever myself. I I am always shocked that more people don't at least just do that because because you know just that panel. I'm like, okay, that will that will help jog my memory. You know what I mean? That helps in a way. Yeah, but again, I think. I think you run into a lot of problems with that because how do you find how do you select the panels? Well, see, and I think do you know what I mean? I think it's really just it's too much of a hassle for the um, for the people putting together well, it, the book, I, I, and I kind of understand. Yeah, I, that. I just yeah, yeah, yeah. Both both to do as the recaps, and also I'm sure it bleeds into your thinking when you're writing it. As mm-hmm. in, like, I need a panel that I can pull out the next month. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, I, 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 I need a panel where one of the characters is saying the conflict is actually between blah, 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 blah. Right. I don't think that that is necessarily a terrible thing, though. I really don't. I really don't. I don't know. Again, maybe this is just because I'm tired of picking up comics where I'm just like, 
Not so much that I don't know what's going on, although I, I have to say I had that experience a couple of times this week, but really just more of oh, the... Oh, what? What's what? Well, okay. Well, there's there's Sandman Overture number four, where I was just okay. like, no Okay, idea. actually, we we were just talking about delays. The delays in Sandman make it... I, I, I'm... Yes. Impossible to know what's going on. You'd have to reread the previous exactly. issue. Surely. You'd have to, because it's You like... can't tell me that, you can't tell me that Gaiman is writing enough of a, I was going to say coherent story, which sounds really bitchy. Enough of a story that is meant to stand alone in, in single issues. Right. That there's a, there is an element that recaps the previous issues in the dialogue. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I refuse to believe that. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, and it's, well, here's the thing. For me, it's, because it is because Gaiman is what's what's the word that I'm looking for? Because Gaiman is a, an inherently dull storyteller, it's not hard to figure it out. You know what I mean? Wow. You know, I, I just I don't I don't mean I just mean that that Gaiman is kind of like he's not a guy where you're getting your where you get the sudden swerve you didn't see coming at the end of Act One. You know what I mean? It's like. Issue one, we have he to He is go a writer trip. of tales. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And tales by their very nature are like, this is what's going to happen. Oh, here it is happening. Let us look back at what has happened. You know? And so it's like, I'm like... But I love, there's something about that tone that actually I can imagine Neil Gaiman saying all that. <laughs> yeah, he probably has. God <laughs> help me. That would be great. If I can work on a Neil Gaiman imitation to go on with my Alan Moore one for 2015. Oh, boy. That would be the best. So, you know, so there's kind of a deal of like, yeah, they're still on this quest to do this thing. I don't really remember what it is, but I'm sure it's important. I've more or less remember. I'm sure it's important. <laughs> well, they're on the quest, Jeff. That's kind of taking Well, see, away. that's it. They're always, I mean, that's it. You're there. And in fact, later on, he says, like, I need to do this because of that. And I, I'm like, fine, whatever. But for me, just generally, there was that gist of like, I'm like, until they had the young, I mean, Gaiman again, pretty sharp, like dull, but he knows how to, he knows, he knows how to craft the kind of incredibly dull story that he's telling in a compelling way. You know what I mean? Like his compellingness is never in the, and then we find out that Sandman was the mass murderer all along. You know, it's just very much in that idea of like, oh, Morpheus, like Gaiman doubles down. Not only is Morpheus coming along back in the stages days when he's kind of a dick, but he's got his alter ego self, which is a cat, and is like, okay, who doesn't love cats? And then just to double down on that, here's an adorable girl, you know, how can you not appreciate? And in fact, I was like reading this, and I'm like six pages in, I'm like, I don't care. I'm like looking at the art, but I just don't care until the little girl says something cute. And I'm like, no, no, you know? So it's like... Gaiman, he, it's, you know, so anyway, but I yeah, found yeah. myself. Is he Gaiman the system? Oh my God, Graham. That <laughs> is... I would like to right now oh. make a claim for the worst fun you will hear in any podcast. In that is awesome. That is, <laughs> that is horrible. Come at me, bad pun people. I, I actually feel like I've been stabbed. So... <laughs> Uh, Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers, issue four. It probably hurts that I have not read this since issue two. And did it ship well, late at some well, point? Jeff. <laughs> well, Jeff. Well, you can't. I, you can't really complain that you don't know what's going on in the comic and don't remember the last issue when you never actually read the last issue. 
Uh, okay. That seems a bit rich. Okay. <laughs> I, but, but I guess what I'm saying is, is, unless I'm mistaken, I do think that there was some sort of delay here, or am I wrong? I, I, no, I want to say there has been uh, a delay as well. I think there's been a significant delay in this issue. Yeah. Or no, maybe not this issue, on this series. Yes. Because didn't this series launch, like, in the summer? I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's my Yes. I don't even know how you managed to find these things on the internet. <laughs> I, have I ever introduced you to Google? Yes, you have, Graham. It just doesn't work for me the way it works for you, all right? Jesus. They've got a, a, a thing that you can type words into, and then you stare. <laughs> oh, it's, this it's, is going on. Oh, man. Listeners, 2015, the year Jeff stopped showing his vulnerable underside. <laughs> um. What I'm actually doing is I'm going to Comixology because that's going to have release dates for everything. Oh, man. Can we talk about how badly the search engine for Comixology sucks, though? I uh, we can't. And by the way, I can tell you that there is uh, the last issue of uh, Captain Victory apparently came out on October 29th, and then the new issue came out this month. This uh, this week, rather. Yeah, this week. So, so, it, so it was monthly, and then it took a couple of months off. Yeah. Yeah. So even if I had read issue three, and I mean, again... It's well, I think you thing. might have had a better idea. It's funny that you say that, though, because I have those issues piled up. Mm-hmm. Um, it, for that very reason. Uh, mm-hmm. Issue 4, I got issue 4 and I looked at it and I was like, I don't even vaguely remember where issue 3 left off. Yeah. See, and, so, and, I, and I did read it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and that's what I'm saying is, is like, if you have those things happen, you've got to have at least a little something in there. And, you know, I'm sure everyone's going to be like, oh, great. Jeff, you know, totally wants a recap on page one. And page two, the main character has to save a dog from a burning building just so that we can remember why we care about the character again. You yes, know what I mean? Awesome. <laughs> I'm on board with that. I, I have to admit, I like recaps and I'm, I've been surprised for years that DC hasn't picked it up. Mm-hmm. Ever since Marvel did it in all their books, mm-hmm. I've always thought, well, DC's going to go and start doing this at some point, right? Yeah, the fact that they've chosen not to is kind of, kind of mind boggling to me. You know, but honestly, I think that that is, I'm like, I think that the DC is like so currently like they're, it's, they're, it's like Dr. Who or something. They are so busy reeling from the things that are changing in their future that they can't actually nail down their past. Oh God. Yeah. DC's 2015 is going to be absolutely crazy. I can't even imagine what it's like to work there right now. Oh yeah. It's it it is weird, isn't it? Uh, I and I have to say, let, let's let's move on from whatever my other example was going to be. I read that latest issue of Superman, Graham McMillan, and I have to say that was it's like it you know it's kind of like oh it's building slow to a payoff. It's building slow to a payoff, and I read Superman issue thirty seven, and I'm like, that's the payoff. Like what? Why can't people tell Superman stories anymore? What happened? And and please, you have hey, to you I, have I, to answer this without telling me about Action Comics and Greg Pak. So, uh, well, I literally can't tell you what happened in Superman issue thirty-seven because I haven't read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn it! I, I, so yeah, I I literally cannot help with that. Is this the one where Superman has a new superpower, or is that next month? Oh, it's that's probably coming next month. Okay, because I, I see, I know that's happening because I got the funniest PR about it. Not from DC, weirdly enough. I got PR from some other company about Superman getting a new superpower, but I couldn't remember what issue it was. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, it's very unexpected. Do they say uh, what the superpower is? No, that was the that was the purpose of the the PR. Hmm. The PR was, um, as you know, Superman's getting a new superpower in issue whatever. And I was like, I didn't. Okay. Uh, and it was like, and so weird. Like, here's a, it was like an infographic about Superman's powers to date or something like that. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, okay. I, what happens in issue 37 then? What is it building to? Uh, issue 37, I, I'm sure you, I'm sure you remember. And this is the thing. Who does remember these days? Issue 36 of uh, Superman ends with Ulysses offering everyone the chance to leave Earth for... Yeah, yeah. He's going to like save everyone and take them to the thing. To the great world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Issue 37 opens with Ulysses um, I talking just want, Superman. I just want you to be, like, to be revealed to be a bad guy and he's going to lead them to hell. Uh, he, he, Yes, congratulations. What what happens is Superman is shackled with a holding sim- system that mimics kryptonite radiation. Um, Ulysses is telling him, he's like, I'm really sorry to do this to you. You've helped me so much. You've been such an inspiration. I have no choice but to do this. Turns out that Ulysses is working with the dudes who the alien that he beat up in the first issue, Cleric, and uh, he's like, basically, I'm telling Cleric that I'm returning you to Metropolis after we bring these people to the great, back to the great world. Cleric is Ulysses' adapted, adopted father. Essentially, the great world is a planet that is almost like Krypton in that it is about, is always on the verge of falling apart. But if, <laughs> so, sorry, I'm chuckling because I want you to understand the the incredibly sound geophysics behind this concept. This planet is about to fall apart. And unless it has a bunch of people taken from another planet that are mulched up and the resulting energy of a bunch of dying people will be enough to hold together a planet for another period of time. And so that's spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Ulysses has done this in fact, several times he's a little bit of the silver surfer in that sense in that he's had to go to other planets to help preserve the great world which we are totally told is awesome and in fact um oh man the the other thing there's just so so Meanwhile, the while Superman's being held captive, all these people are being pulled up to the better place and, you know, into the alien ships to be taken to the great world. And, of course, they all believe that this place is a great world because they believe Ulysses because he's Superman's friend. So really, yeah, exactly. of course, it's – so they get a whole bunch of people um, – a bunch of people off Earth. They are transporting them, and what Superman sees is that Ulysses Quinn's parents have gotten onto the ship, and they are in the group of people, and they, of course, are going to be thrown into the, you know, turned into juicy bits for the great world to survive. There's an amazing scene where the great world is uh, shown, and it's just, you know, it's it's basically a land of like flying T squares essentially because that's because that's how John Romita rolls. He's like, let's imagine that the world was nothing but purple half colored finished circuit boards, you know, with I don't know things. Yeah, just stuff, you know. And what's great is everyone looking out the windows are like, oh, 
this is the most beautiful world and it's great. Like one of one of Mrs. one of Ulysses Quinn's parents is like, there's not a cloud in the sky. Like I'm like Jeff Johns, that's your way of talking about a perfect world. Like I mean, it's seriously that was the one Silver Age moment that I thought was great was the idea that someone talking about how great a world is is like, look, there's no rain. I'm like, yeah. Thanks, Jeff Johns. Welcome to Desert Planet 2015, formerly known as Earth. We don't have rain either. It's awesome. So so Ulysses, Superman points out to Ulysses that his real parents are going to die and be crunched up by this thing. And Ulysses is like, I can't, I can't do it. And Superman's like, we'll stop this together. We can make this stop. We can, we can put an end to this. And Ulysses is like, I don't know. And Superman's like, you've got to trust me. We'll make this work. So then Superman and Ulysses break free. They fly through the great world complex. And they've got to do scabbity-doo to bibbledy-bop in order to make things happen. And then apparently something goes wrong and it looks like the great world blows up because they are trying to stop the process from destroying the humans. And in fact, I think like... Ulysses like psycho you know sci-fi babbles about how he's got to reverse the transponders and he he transports all the people back to earth so they're not killed but then as a result of which apparently the great world is blown up so Ulysses at the end of it is like my planet is destroyed Superman and it's all your fault and I'm going to kill you now and that's the end of the issue but um spoilers great. for people right exactly it sounds like a big pile of bluck you know, like really just, just, just dull and not just dull. I would be okay with that if that was, if it was like we had the first issue of Superman and then this was the Superman annual, I guess, you know what I mean? But for however many issues that I've, of investment that I put into this, I think this is fourth or fifth issue or whatever. I was like, this is like it's a really underwhelming payoff. Like, and who knows where it's going to go next? Even if it goes into the Superman's like one step ahead, and he's managed to, you know, the great world people all got shrunk into a bottle, you know, and they're the new candor or whatever. I, I kind of, I'm just so. It's it's just, I I think I've spent something like thirteen dollars on this, and honestly, I I would have rather. Have read like there's I derive more excitement from reading a one page Evil Knievel toy ad from like 1976 in the back of one of the issues of the Avengers. You know, it's just it's it's just terrible. And Graham, I'm holding you on trial for it. So tell me, <laughs> what were they thinking? What am I supposed to? I don't know. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I, it's. <laughs> Complain and blame. That's what I do. Uh, I, you know, okay. tell me what the hell? Why? Why is why is Superman it's, so broken? Here's, here's the terrible, terrible, cynical thing to say. When you said "what the hell," my first thought was, "It's a Jeff Johns comic." Mm-hmm. It does it not seem a very Jeff Johns plot to you? It seems like a duller version of a Jeff Johns plot. Like I'm okay. Honestly, I mean, this is my thing. Uh, I am okay. No, seriously, you're much more no, of a no, Jeff no, Johns I, no, booster my, than my, I am, my, generally. My uh comes mm-hmm. from the fact that uh, I think Jeff Johns has been doing the less, the more dull versions of Jeff Johns plots 
for a while. For a while. Well, okay, but you. I, 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 I mean, are you still reading Justice League? No, I, I don't know if I ever started reading Justice League. That's the sad <laughs> truth. I, um, well, okay, yeah. You, did you read Forever Evil? Any no. part of it? No, I read the very first issue and I threw it across the room. And there that you go. Was it. Yeah, I, I, that's is kind of my point. Jeff Johns has gotten into uh, a point in his uh, not really career has gotten into a point in his style. Mm-hmm. Where he is writing almost sort of uh, Mark Millerized parodies of his previous style. Yeah, I guess that's. And, and I true, and right. I think that that everything you're saying is more a failure of John's than a failure of everyone else's ability to tell Superman stories. That said, your larger point, which is. Where are all the good Superman stories? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not allowed to say go read Action Comics, uh, I will say that prior to Johns' arrival, and I still think Johns' run is better than what came before, yes. you had Steve, uh, Scott Lobdell mm-hmm. proving even more so that people couldn't write. Yes. <laughs> that some people cannot write good Superman stories. Right. And part of that comes from, I don't think many people at DC understand what they want to do with Superman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there is genuine confusion over that mm-hmm. and uh, entirely contradictory impulses mm-hmm. on DC's behalf. I think they simultaneously want Superman to be the uh, moral absolute good boy scout mm-hmm. and the mythical hero and also younger and hipper and edgier. Yeah, exactly. And I At don't think time. you can do all of those things. Right. And I think that when you try you come up with stories like this that try and give a a moral edge to Superman or show the downside of the Superman mythology or, or mythos. Right. And, and it can't... I don't think you can do that without breaking Superman. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think if you do a story which is Superman, the world trusts you, and because of that, someone took advantage of that, and you led them... Mm-hmm. I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how you then go and. Right. I, th- I think it, it, you just reach a point where you're like, so you're a dick. Right. Right. Exactly. So, you, well, but I mean, this is the sort of thing. This is the other problem that I have with the new 52. Admittedly, it's been around for three years now. I have not, I've not paid attention to the vast majority of it, but I have this thing of like, but is Superman, you know what I mean? Like, I'm always at that stage of like, wait, wait, does everyone trust Superman now? Because I swear half the time, you know, at least when I sort of looked around, they were kind of half going with this idea of like, yes. he's an Who, alien and we can't here's really the trust him. Who is writing Superman? Exactly. exactly. That's what you always have to check in. Uh, for the most part, I think Superman is mostly trusted now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really does depend on who and what you're reading. Right. Uh, and I, that comes down to the writers, which Superman the writer wants to be writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a fascinating, if not necessarily good read mm-hmm. right now is Superman Wonder Woman because Peter Tomasi's taken over reading, uh, writing it. Right. And he is trying to do old school Superman with the new school Superman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's trying to be like, hey, it's Superman. You know, everything he does is great. He's a cheery Boy Scout. Right. And he's also fucking Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I, I, and, and, and I use that 
phrase very specifically because I think whenever DC approaches the Wonder Woman relationship, they're like, "Look at them! They're young and virile." Oh yeah, oh, you know, I, it's it's I, awful. It's like these awkward, horrible moments. I, where they're like, "Hey, let's flirt," and you're like, "Oh, you've never had a relationship ever in your life, have you?" So Especially bad. not a long term one. I oh, know God, it's so bad. Awkward for it, everyone involved. It, it is. Um, uh, well, there's. So, Sorry. So you get that. You get you get Tomasi trying to do quote unquote his Superman. Right. With the, the Superman he's been given. I'm being like, well, I should probably throw this scene in as well. And there's just this, for me at least, there's this amazing dissonance. And actually, arguably more so with Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Because, I was going to say. Because the, the role that Wonder Woman has to play in that book is, uh, is, is, is nuts. <laughs> is, is utterly schizophrenic. Uh, because they're like, one woman is this kick-ass warrior who needs no one who nonetheless goes to pieces around Superman. Yeah, yeah, that seems, and that seems to happen a lot. Interestingly enough, and, and this shows you kind of what kind, like, talk of, you know, now that we've crossed the $600 level uh, on our Patreon, uh, Graham, it's clear hey, that the thanks, money thanks. has begun to corrupt me. You know what I, I mean? Thanks, like, everyone. Yes. I'm yeah, it has corrupted you because you haven't thanked everyone for that. Now they've mentioned it. Thank you, everyone, very much. I didn't really wish you a happy new year, really, either. But yes, okay, right. A, partic- a particular cat. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. Do we have to look up that up? You remembered the cat's name, didn't you? Audrey. Audrey. The, Thank the you. Cat. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all hail Emperor Audrey, who is, who is our Empress patron. Empress Audrey, please. Oh, yes. I suppose that's, well, you know. I don't know. I always feel it should be like actor, the whole emperor empress thing. But okay, fine. All hail Empress Audrey. There's nothing like being corrected by a grammarian there to really, you know, it's like I was totally looking forward to hailing an emperor, and you really kind of took the, you really took the enjoyment out of it. I guess because I'm a sexist pig. So yeah. But I also I do like that uh, you say grammarian and didn't immediately go for a pun with my name. Oh yes, Grammarian McMillan. My God, you're just on fire. How do you? Oh my God, 2015 is the year to be scared of people. Anyway, th- thanks to our Empress Audrey and all the other fine supporters on Patreon, we have crossed the $600 limit, which uh, mark, which means that we are bringing you an additional podcast every month, uh, which uh, we talked about a little bit there, and we'll probably talk about some more at the end so that you can be prepared. But uh, all of which is to say, oh, you, I, sorry, you were saying you're corrupted. I'm corrupted. Yes, I'm spending all my money now on cocaine and bad comics, and uh, I've yet to get any cocaine. But I'm getting way too many bad comics. I picked up Wonder Woman issue 36 and issue 37. Oh, Jeff, I could have no. Why did you not call me? I have told <laughs> you not to. I would have thrown myself in front of that. That phone call, that that comic purchase, Jeff, no, no. Let friends, me tell you, Graham. My friends buy that comic. That hurts. That it. That those two issues hurt. And in issue oh, thirty-seven, oh, gods, Jeff. Yeah, well, you know, I I wanted to check it out. I wanted to give them a chance. You know, I I was like. They had the articles. I'm like, oh, Meredith Finch, you know, like kind of uh, – there have been I, I times where I've liked I, David Finch. I seem to, yeah, I seem to remember mm-hmm. when 36 came out that I was like, huh, it's doing some interesting things. And by the time 37 came out, I'd read, I was like, no! Yeah. Back from the comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 30, 36, I was kind of like, well, maybe. And 37 was the one where I was like, oh. And the the scene between Clark and Diana in that was – just 
terrible. I mean, it was fascinating to me in that Meredith Finch had apparently read the first three issues of Wonder Woman Superman and thought that that was basically as hard as she would have to work, I guess. But I mean, I was like, this Superman Wonder Woman scene, which seems like every other scene that I read in the first three issues of Superman Wonder Woman comic, and yet somehow seemed worse by virtue of it being Wonder Woman's comic, was, ooh, I mean... If people pick it up, you might read it and be like, oh, it's not that bad, as long as you no, don't actually care it about... Is. Oh, it's so awful. Awful. Oh, it's surprising that you're, that's the scene you're singling out, and not the amazing uh, final scene with Donna Troy coming out of the cauldron. Oh, yeah. I, maybe because that was spoiled for me, but I was like, eh, of course. I mean, that's the thing. The other thing that actually surprised me about Wonder Woman, the reboot, is that it's Meredith Finch, David Finch, uh, David Finch supposedly having some weight as a DC artist. And, you know, in terms of like, I'm going to do whatever boring book I want. I'm going to take Batman and turn him into flashlight man. And you guys are going to basically have to put up with that. Um, is it is that it seems just that issue seemed like all but broken backed under the weight of the editorial imperatives on it. Didn't it? Like I like when Donna Troy comes out of that cauldron, I'm like, I don't think Meredith Finch came up with that. You know, like maybe it's just me. Oh, like, I to- I totally do. Do you? Oh, I okay. totally do. Because it seems like a, a really cheap I'll give them what they want with a twist. <laughs> no. So th- how do I put it? To me, Graham, that exact phrase is the phrase that Dan DiDio has been saying for the last, you know, five plus years at DC, you know? Yeah. No, I, I honestly think it's Meredith Finch more than it's editorial. Okay. Okay. And, and here's why. I think editorial wouldn't do it so badly. I think editorial, because here's the thing, you know that Donna Troy is going to end up being a good guy. Mm-hmm. I think if it was editorial, they'd just bring her back as a good guy. I also think they'd probably bring her back in Teen Titans. See, and uh, maybe, I uh, could be. I, I personally think that they're like, let's bring back Donna Troy and let's bring her back somewhere where it's like, you know, where it's – because honestly, the Superman Wonder Woman stuff is – in the issue feels like extraneous and terrible too. You know what I mean? And again, has a little bit of the, well, this is an important thing. We've really got to mention the other characters. Yeah, I, I, I would say that while the editorial hand I do feel is the very bland but massive note of make it tie into the rest of the DC universe. Mm. Could be. Could more, be. more than any specific thing. Because be. I definitely think there's much more of a, hey, it's the same Wonder Woman's Injustice League, everyone. Could be. You know, you're out for yeah. the last three years. It's not felt like that. We, right. We've started, we've started that. Now right. you should all read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here's our correction to it. I could see it as a correction, but I, maybe I just sort of feel that the Finches are, are at the very least overcorrecting under that guise. Oh, yes. You know, it's the second issue. One of the things that really struck me was kind of, it just be, between, wrapping up I'm assuming be- between trying to pick up the pieces from Azarello and Chang's stuff that I'm not really sure that they actually care about and doing some of these other things it was just like it it, it felt like a hamstrung book that being said even if it was not I do not think it would be a very strong book 
You know what I mean? I'm yeah, it's, really it just, impressed. It feels, it feels impressively like a misfire on every level. Every level. Every level. And I have to say, like, if either either I do not care for David Finch's work, like, at, at all, I mean, as in less than I used to care about it, which was not very much, or his heart is just not in it. Because there was stuff that I was looking at here where I was like, they've been working on this launch, I thought, for a while. And things here just look rushed and slapdash. Like, really, just... He's no Tony Daniel. That's what I'm saying. You know? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Welcome to Damning with Fain Praise, the 2015 edition. <laughs> um, Graham, there's other things that we should be talking about, right? Isn't yeah, there? Uh, there really is. Uh, first of all... I want to say, I hope everyone enjoyed what we had to say about the Image Expo. I think we, we, <laughs> we barely made it through that. all of point one. Because Jeff... We Jeff didn't did, make it through all of point I'm... one. <laughs> <laughs> we literally got so off track. Um, this is what I will say about Image Expo. Please. I find myself... Say many things. I find myself very um, unexcited. So drunk. I did not find myself excited by many of the announcements. Uh and I'm feeling very ambivalent about... I think that might actually be a good thing. Yes. Yeah, I think so uh, too, actually. I, I, I think it's it speaks to the diversity, because this did seem like a more diverse mm-hmm. expo than we've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones that I was excited about were the two new Brankevons. Right. Uh, and I am stupidly excited about the Kieran Gill and David LaFenty series. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really, really looking forward to that. I do not think it's going to be my thing, mm-hmm. but I am. I was very happy to see the Alex Campi, Carlos Speed McNeil series. Mm. Yeah, that looks um, fabulous. I can't wait to get I, I, of that. I don't think I'm going to like it, but I'm really glad it exists, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, my, the thing I was most looking forward to was the Emmy Lennox travelogue, which I think I'm going to love. Mm. Uh, but I there, it did. Did you like did you were... buy Emmy Town or? Yeah, and Emmy Town Two. Oh really? I did not like Emmy Town One. So that's all right. Mm, okay. <laughs> you don't have to like everything. <laughs> no, no, no. I disagree. Anyway, so yes. Um, uh, yeah. So so those are the, the well. Also, I like travelogues in general. Mm-hmm. Like, g- give me a good travelogue, and I'm a happy man. That's true. You and I are, are similar in that regard. Uh, and and uh, and I could see how her style would actually be brilliant in that. Uh, how do you, you're not a Scotty Young fan? I'm not either, but I think it's possible that I Hate Fairyland could be kind of huge. Oh, I could see it being huge. I just have little desire to read it. Mm-hmm. I also think that the uh, Island, the the magazine anthology, yes, is going to be really big as well. But I I was surprised by how little I was interested in that. Hmm. Yeah, I think for me, as much as as excited as I am by Brian Brandon Graham's stuff generally, that was everything that he was saying is just be- – I think because he said all this stuff at the last time and none of it's shipped yet, it was kind of like, okay, I'll – I actually wondered if Island is a replacement for Eight House. <laughs> uh, you know, I do wonder. I do wonder. Um, maybe Eight House has taken a lot longer to, to come together, I guess. So um, – I don't know. Um, anyway, yes. Uh, so Graham, yes. Uh, yes. O- other other image expo points, probably none. 
really? I mean, other than uh, those announcements? No, that's, I, that's, that's pretty much it. I, what I was interested in also was, I felt like Image Expo seemed much less of an exciting thing mm-hmm. this time around. I mm-hmm. think it, it, we might be at the point where like it's crossed over to the point where like it's just something that, that happens. Right. Right. Uh, and it plays to an existing audience as right. opposed to seeming new anymore. Yeah. Uh, which is really, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what happens in the future because of that. Yes. Because I think for Image Expo to work, it has to be seen as being more exciting. You know, and I think you make a good point. I feel like if this exact expo had been the expo that had happened last time, I think it would have been kind of ginormous, you know? Yeah, much bigger deal, right? Yeah, a much bigger deal. Yeah, in terms of the number of books that seem interesting, that look great with the diversity of the creators. I mean, technically, you look at it, and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But I just – there's something where, yeah, either I've become jaded or I think there's still a little bit of, uh, for me, waiting for this other shoe to drop, which may be all the books that they promised previously actually coming out and seeing how they are or – when all of that starts to to fall apart and unravel. So. Well, I, I don't even think it's that as much as the other books have come out. And I think that we're now in year three of an image renaissance, shall mm-hmm. we say? Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of expect a certain, I don't know, there, there's more of a... a you know what to expect, I guess. Well, I think even just for me, there's just kind of a deal of when you look at the stuff that's come out over the last three years, there's not been a lot of things that I've really super, super adored. You know what I mean? Like, and some of the stuff that I thought I was going to adore, you know, like eight house still isn't out yet. So we'll see Mm -hmm. how things are. So that those, it could be a combination of factors for me where it was just kind of like, yeah, but I mean, you know, there is a little bit of I'm I'm buying a lot of image books and there's a lot of them that I I like okay, but you know, it's a, either I'm not as much of a fanboy as I used to be, which is certainly the case, or it's just kind of like, eh, okay, good, some more okay comics. That's Well, that that's just that's it. Okay. There, I I think I think there is a lot of comics that have come out and it's creators that you and I'm using general you, not Jeff Lester you. Yes. Um, that you recognize and have liked the work of, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. And there and but that's it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's not this idea of you know, holy shit, they're doing whatever they want, and it's mind bending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, especially the San Diego Image Expo last year. Yes. I feel it was very much like, and this year, it's your superhero favorites doing science fiction comics. Right, right. Exactly. You know? And, yeah. and uh, that's what I mean by knowing what you're getting or, or no, it, having a particular sort of weighted expectation. Mm-hmm. I think there's been enough that hasn't been a disappointment as much, as such, but also hasn't blown your socks off. Right, right. And so suddenly your expectations for everything else are tamped down. Because mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I know what to expect. Um, what I'll get is good. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be a solid comic. Yeah. yeah. But that's different from the initial Image Expos, where Image really was A, on the rise, and B, getting creators who hadn't really done creator-owned work yes. or hadn't done it in a while. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so there, was a, there really was an idea of like, I can't wait to see what they do. Yes. Yeah, totally. Totally. And now you're like, oh, I, I kind of know what they do. And right. what they do is fine. Mm-hmm. 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 And so you end up with a, a sort of like, huh. <laughs> I, I, so, yeah. So Image Expo today was was fine. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was, I think it was a better expo than the last couple. Right. Uh, um, well, yeah, like I said, technically also, it would be great. But, yeah. but somehow, but yeah. It, seem, it somehow seems less exciting. Yeah, yeah, the sort of diminishing expectations or heightened expectations or whatever. Yeah. To uh, uh, talking talking of the expectations. Yes. Uh, what did you think of the Ant Man trailer? Oh, uh, interesting. Um, you know, I was surprised by the tone that they took with it. I I know that <laughs> entirely generic action tone. Uh, no, I thought that it actually had a much more kind of weird, sombery acting tone for the first chunk of it, you know? Like, is, isn't is it a lot of it, like, it's like Michael Douglas's speech and Paul yes. Rudd looking humorless, uh, and then you get, like, a few notes of Paul Rudd being funny, and then you get, um, you get the action stuff. But I think, overall, uh... It was, I mean, it was a very odd trailer, but I kind of had a little bit of a, I was surprised by the almost um, kind of the poignant tone that they were going for with it on top of everything else. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I was, well, I, I, uh, I was, well, no, I, I, part of me is like, you thought it was poignant? Yeah. I, you know, I mean, there's like, the, like. You actually thought it was poignant, not you thought they were going for poignant. Oh, I thought that I thought they were going for poignant. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if I would poignancy in it. Uh, You know, I I was weirdly I was weirdly affected by the music or whatever. Yeah, there was some scene where he's like, yeah, you know, you've got to do this for you know, it's like don't do it for us, do it for them. You know, yeah, do it for the future. Yeah, exactly. I was kind of like, okay, like that kind of hit. Now, admittedly, I just. You know, uh, as as you may know, it had oh, yeah, an experience yes, at the yes, playground that had you know, left yes. me somewhat scarred emotionally. So, you know, I, I could have well have been. That's interesting. You are you are the first person I've talked to who has actually found that trailer poignant. <laughs> like that's why I did not believe you when you said that. Yes, because you were the first person who has yeah. actually said yes. I came away from that thinking there was poignancy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have talked to far too many people about this trailer. At this yes, point. apparently. Uh, well, here's the thing. <laughs> and so here's the thing. On, you were wrong. It came on what Tuesday? Yeah, it came on yeah. with Agent Carter on yeah. Tuesday. Um, and I watched it, and I was snarky on Twitter because mm-hmm. I thought it was amazingly underwhelming and reminded me as much as anything of the Sony Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I said this, and and then Patrick Williams like was like, oh, this is what you should do instead. Uh, I was like, I was really surprised there wasn't a reveal. I was really surprised there wasn't a pivot. Mm-hmm. That you had the seriousness and then you know, you had Paul Rudd going, huh? And then you pivot to a different emotion. Yes. Because uh, it doesn't. It's like, it's gloom, it's gloom, huh? More gloom with some punching. Yeah, agreed. And that I think um, was a little Which bit was super weird. And mm-hmm. then Patrick Williams did his, his edit mm-hmm. and uses the heart as a pivot and changes mm-hmm. the music. Yeah. Um... Which is is amazing, um, but I kind of thought that was the end of it because I was like, I'm not writing for Hollywood Reporter right now. Um, someone else, I know someone else is writing that post. 
Mm-hmm. There's nothing interesting to say about this. It's a really dull trailer. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, um, I had a Hollywood reporter was like, "Can you write about this trailer?" And I was like, "No, it was really, it was really dull." Mm-hmm. And he was like, "That no, that's why I want you to write about it." He was like, <laughs> we, "Basically, we all thought it was dull as well, and we're really surprised that it's so underwhelming." Mm-hmm. And so I ended up writing this post that's essentially like, "It's a surprise that that Marvel, who normally does really good trailers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did this trailer that people are like, oh." Like the most positive things I saw of people uh, on social media were, I trust Marvel. Like right. I, I, that, that didn't really do it for me, but Marvel hasn't let me down yet. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's the positive feedback to your trailer, <laughs> like that's, that's a bad trailer. If yeah. that is the best people can say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, so I, I talked to a lot of people and everyone was like, you know, it was very generic. It didn't really say much. Like, for a movie that's supposed to be a comedy, it was a remarkably unfunny trailer. Oh, yeah. The super. two mm-hmm. the two comedy lines mm-hmm. just don't land at all. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because they're not supported by what follows. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the problem. Went, huh. And then it's like more somber. And so his, yes. his joke is dead. And then again and then where he's like, can we change the name? It then cuts to like a fade-in of the, of the logo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that That doesn't, like, you've killed the joke again. Like, mm-hmm. there's just two weird edits in this that kill the joke for what is supposed to be a comedy movie. Yeah. And what, for that matter, it's supposed to be a comedy heist movie. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, which you just don't get from a trailer. Yeah, no, I, well, you well, know, okay, Marvel does do their trailers in threes, right? So it's possible that they'll land yeah, it by go, the third. But if you go back and look at the first Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. Yes. Everything's in place. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You go back and look at the first trailer for Captain America Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. Everything's in place. Yeah. Like the, the following trailers were essentially just longer versions of those trailers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, sure, this is officially a teaser for Ant-Man and a trailer. Mm-hmm. But either they're going to break with what they've always done and massively change the message. Mm-hmm. Or this is going to have the weirdest fucking downbeat advertising for a comedy you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> it's yeah. That yeah. man, is he going to live up to his daughter's dreams? Because he's a schlub. <laughs> right. He's a, he's a wisecracking schlub, but oh dear. Oh, look, it's eventually Lenny punching someone, but oh dear. Look, he's jumping on an ant, but oh no. It's like Eeyore's fucking editing trailers. I was about to say, you did a really good Eeyore imitation there. Oh, yeah, boo. it's, I, you know, uh... <laughs> Listen, we've got half an hour left, Jeff, and I, yes. there's something else I want to talk to you about. Yes. Uh, top Shelf being bought by IDW. Great. I was hoping you were going to bring this up. Because when you you and I were emailing about stuff, you were like, we could talk about this for hours. And I'm like, uh, we could? So <laughs> so you have no thoughts on it? I have one thought. Honestly. Which I, is, I, wait, is, that, is this the thought you said in email? Wait, what was the thought that I said in email? Uh, that will be the end of their liquidation sales. Oh, <laughs> What a callow dick I am, listeners. Uh, yes. Uh, no, that is not the only thought that I had, although that that was the very first thought. Listeners, the sort of um, v- venal thoughts, petty thoughts that went through my head when I heard that Top Shelf was being announced was like, huh, so that bartender guy is leaving comics. That was one thought. 
huh, they're probably not going to be doing these liquidation sales that are so awesome to clear out their overstock and or pay their mortgages every year or twice a year. Bummer. Uh, and then that was kind of it for a while until Graham mentioned that he was thought that we could talk about it for hours. When he said that, the one thing that it kind of made me go back and look at the press release and the two things I suppose that are for me, my poor mind was able to put together was the idea that IDW was, had been actively looking for another comic book company to purchase. And that's the part that a seems very interesting and B the idea that if top shelf is that company, um, I think, although I could be wrong, and we'll see where Graham's take on it is, is, is that they, the top shelf, uh, that IDW was looking very specifically for a, but to buy, basically a way to kind of buy their way into libraries. But I, I don't necessarily know if that's true. I, I'm, I was kind of there. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that something that the purchase does is give IDW a credibility that it's never had before mm-hmm. and that it's clearly always wanted. Mm-hmm. I think IDW has, in a way in a way that something like Boom has more credibility with uh, younger cartoonists and with uh, alternative cartoonists. Yes. I feel, than, than, than IDW. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that IDW has never really had that kind of credibility, either with that creator base or that readership base. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now they do. Mm. Like, in one fell swoop. Mm-hmm. I, I, especially if they don't fuck with with Top Shelf. If they really do just let Top Shelf be Top Shelf, except they're now bankrolling them. Right. See, I, I'm just sort of... Uh, well, on the one hand... I, my personal feeling was, and and part of this is Transformers G- versus GI Joe. Part of it is the bias of knowing that Hibbs is doing consulting work with them. Like I have, a, I actually have a lot of respect for IDW. That seems I'm not to saying I don't respect for it. Oh no 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 no. And I I wasn't I wasn't trying to. I apologize if that at all sounds like what it was. Um, I guess what I'm saying is is more the idea of like. Weirdly, their purchase of Top Shelf gave them a lot of credibility for me, and I don't even necessarily consider myself – like my Top Shelf – I don't consider myself an especially huge Top Shelf fan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I I was curious – like I said, I mentioned the library thing, the idea that there is a certain credibility that that IDW is trying to get, although I think that credibility may be more of – an in inroads into bookshelves and libraries and breaking out of just being the uh, kind of a, a big horse in the direct market, you know, and a horse that has somewhat been shrinking for a while, you know, it's like, well, let's... but also a, a horse that I feel is no, like, I feel like IDW for everything else they do is known as the company that does licensed books. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yes, which is interesting because I feel that there are, there are many other companies that also do licensed books or who rely heavily on a staple of licensed books. Um, I don't know, you know, it's, 
did you did you have another? It's so funny. I hear you crinkling something. I just I imagine you eating chocolate. I'm sure that is not what you're doing. <laughs> I I am not. I am not. Uh, I'm instead cleaning up my desk as we talk. Ah, I see. Multitasking, listeners. <laughs> I, I like to try. Yeah. Um, I I just part of me wonders. Well, part of me thinks it's a great move on IDW's part. Yes. I think it's incredibly smart on their part. Yeah. Uh, I think it's probably great for Top Shelf as well because Top Shelf, for all our sarcasm, really does have a number of liquidation sales. Or, mm-hmm. I, you know, it would be nice if we could get a bit more money sales. Yeah. Uh, and so to have an idea that they're going to be a bit more financially solvent would be nice. Yeah. To say the least. Um, but I'm also... I feel that the concept of buying out publishers, buying out other publishers, mm-hmm. has been something that's been floated for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but last year, last summer, there was a "Is DC going to buy Dynamite?" Oh rumor, yeah, I remember for a while. That. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I have no idea. Like I've talked to people involved with both companies, mm-hmm. and both of them are like, "Was never discussed." Right. Like, what was never going to happen? Honestly, have no idea how that got started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think there's a. I think we're at the point where that's how companies have to grow now. You had Boom buying Arkea last year. Mm. Oh, that's right. You I had, forgot that. Or was it the year before? I want to say it was last year. I forgot that. Um, hmm, interesting. You have IDW buying Top Shelf. Mm-hmm. I, and part of me now wonders you know, are these. Are publishers now going to try and make themselves more attractive for purchase, or are the bigger publishers going to look elsewhere for who they can who they can purchase? Mm. Like, well, is, is this go, is this going to be the start of a trend? Right. Um, hmm. I think I think the that's that's really a very good question because I feel like because um, how else do you grow your market share now? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, because I don't think – I think that Image has done a tremendous job with that. But even when, you know, I sat down and wanted to start, you know, ranting and raving that The Walking Dead had changed everything, you know, looking back at the sales figures, which I think you and I had talked about, they've gone through periods where they've had, you know, 10 or 11% market share and then essentially lost it and slid back to like seven or eight or something like that. So um, I, I feel one of the things that's tough about comics is you make your profits kind of on the margins. You know what I mean? You grind out a little bit of profit from each book, which is why so many publishers publish a lot of titles, you know, cause they grind out a little bit of profit and that adds, ends up to a, a large amount of profit. I would be leery. There's a few companies that seem to me to be – that might be attractive to – how do I put it? Like part of me is kind of um, – I just think that, that there are – that if you – the number of indie book publishers that don't own the – who part of why they were attractive to creators is that they, you know, the creators have the freedom to take that to own, they own, they have full ownership of their book. And so consequently, 
it seems very rare to me that you have a situation where the idea of owning, you know, you have two choices. You either buy a mill, you know, like Dynamite, for better or for worse, has a lot of product that is owned purely by Dynamite that the part that the creators didn't have any, you know, is work for hire stuff or something like Dark Horse, which is sitting on a huge trove of work for hire stuff. Um, you know, but I would say something like Oni, for example, where a good chunk of it seems to have um, significant creator freedom seems a little, I'm not sure how attractive that actually seems. Do you? Well, isn't that the same as Top Shelf? Isn't Oni just top shelf? Yeah, Oni is top shelf, and and the thing well, that, that I think that, is interesting, that was, yeah, that was is, one of my first right. thoughts. Was, Got it. Is dark, like my first thought, honestly, was is Dark Horse going to buy Oni? Mm. See, I because whereas, they're both really local, right? Right. <laughs> I don't know. I I could I could see it. Wouldn't a better I, I, mapping I analogy it, be if Dynamite bought Oni? You know. In that Dynamite, by and large, no. wants – if they want to have, quote-unquote, more respect, you know, and are largely known as a publisher of licensed comics, you know? Because to me, Dark Horse – although Dark Horse has not actually – it always waxes and wanes. They have a certain – you know, look at, look at something like DHP, you know? They're publishing – they're – publishing work by like Matt Kent before he became or Jeff Lemire before they became big over at DC exactly. they're publishing they Jeff Lemire Matt Kent yeah exactly you uh, know here's the thing you're right I keep saying here's the thing today <laughs> I, I clearly at some point someone has programmed me that's like seven or eighth time I've said it in this podcast um, here's the thing Graham 2015 is the year of saying here's the thing exactly maybe I listened to too many episodes of the Alec Baldwin thing at some point it just took a while to work into my system mm. um, I, I see your analogy you see your mapping mm-hmm. but I think that Dynamite works to a different uh, plan mm-hmm. and I think Dynamite tries to grow by literally buying the intellectual property right of things mm-hmm. um like the chaos are are going like or building their own like project superpowers yes which exactly. is all mm-hmm. you know all uh public domain heroes public domain yeah yeah um than actually just i write buying a publisher that they wouldn't control the rights to the work to mm-hmm um, whereas I could totally see Dark Horse doing it with Oni. Interesting. Right Right now, like, James Lucas John is listening to this and going, we're not for sale. Right, exactly. <laughs> we're, actually, we're actually not for sale, you guys. Yeah. I just I just think, and I could be wrong, but, you know, my, my weird lopsided sights into the Dark Horse complex are that the people running Dark Horse think that they are Oni. You know what I mean? Like they—they're not, but they think oh, that they I, are. No, I, no, I don't think they think they're Oni at all. No, I think I, people, no, I think the people in Dark Horse think they're bigger than Oni. <laughs> well, sure, they think they're bigger than Oni, but in that narcissistic way, they also think they're like, yeah, we. To-. In other words, they already contain their Oni division, and it's you know the five passion projects that you know their top editors have brought them that that aren't necessarily selling 
I could I could be wrong, you know, but I I sort of feel that that's that I I think Dark Horse would not really see the reason for them to have Oni unless it was one of those deals where you know, Mike Richardson is the biggest Brian Lee O'Malley fan in the world and wants to be their publisher. You, you know what I mean? Like, cause I do think there is something to be said for the idea, as many people pointed out that IDW is now, is now in the Alan Moore publishing business. And that, yes. that when you have the money to be able to leverage the publicity on that, that, that can take you a ways, you know, you can actually do something. You think that, that it will? Uh, I don't know if it will, but and I don't even necessarily know if that was like a goal, if that is one of the goals for them. But I think that there is the possibility that in the back of their mind, they're like, if the guy who's doing, you know, if there's if Alan Moore is doing crossed 100, you know, he he clearly might... needs the money for something. Well, it, it's whether whether or not he needs the money. It is this idea of like he's not done with comics yet, and he is much more amenable to the spectrum of what he's willing to do. You know, so there's an idea of like on the one hand, you become the Alan Moore publisher, and you can suddenly say, you know, with IDW when you're trying to pass out your press packet to people at a book expo or you're knocking at the doors of you know anglomem or whatever you can say like yeah we were the american publisher of alan moore and then hopefully fingers crossed like somewhere down the line you know you you you're like you put him on the comp list you make sure he gets lots of copies of transformers versus gi joe you know and the idea is, is that he ends up being like okay i'll I'll do something for you guys. You clearly have some crazy concepts, you know, and who knows? I mean, I'm talking on my ass here. I, you know, I, I keep wanting to make the Alan Moore Ghostbusters joke, but I mean, you know, it, it seems to have a very tangible benefit. So part of me is, is Jeff, like, sure. if Alan Moore wrote Ghostbusters, you would be there in a fucking second. <laughs> <laughs> don't pretend otherwise. I don't know, man. I suppose I bought that cross 100. I mean, I'll tell you that. I but, wasn't. I, mean, I bought previous cross issues. I don't know. Kind of. I'm waiting for the second issue. Kind of like it seemed okay. It didn't really knock me on my ass. You know, like I was kind of like, oh, maybe there's a thing here that I'm just not paint. It was. It was fine. It was oh, perfectly wow. fine. That, but I mean, that is that is the greatest. I'm trying not to say something bad about this. No, no, ever. no, 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 no. Because I was just. It, it was fine. I, I'm hoping that there's something I missed. Yeah, well, it's, but. It's the greatest, like, I didn't like it, but I don't want to not like it. I, uh, how do I put it? Um, that could, I guess that's probably the way that's coming out. And maybe there's a way in which I'm blocking myself from, but I guess there's a difference between not liking it and just not really thinking much about it. Like it was, it was okay. It, it was better than Superman 37, but it just didn't really, I mean, I sort of liked the, the tone that Moore took for the narrator, but, but there was, but I just didn't love it. I just kind of didn't like, I was like, eh, you know, and on the other hand, like there's, uh, his, uh, Neo Nomicon or whatever the fuck it was. Neo Neocon Econ? I don't know. <laughs> Neocon would be great. Alan Moore's Neocons. Neoconicon. Uh I you know, I I remember being kind of like 
like tentatively hopeful about that until it really until I really didn't like the end of it. But I mean, the guy is, you know, the guy to me is past his prime. Uh, certainly as far as his comic work goes, as much as I enjoyed his little piece in God is Dead, I can think of several other pieces that he had done previous prior to that, including some of the, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen stuff that even when I like it, I it I don't like it the way that I used to like Alan Moore books. You know what I mean? And so Crossed 100 is totally perfectly fine in that way that, for example, um, there's a, a bunch of other dudes whose work I don't think is bad or I don't dislike, but I'm just kind of like, you know, like Anthony Johnston, good to me is a good example. I like the first six issues of the fuse enough to buy it, you know, but when we passed on the trade it, to listeners, it really had a lot to do with like the artist was right there. I got a signed copy. He seemed like a great guy. It seemed like a great way to give something back to the listeners but I wasn't – and I put it on a note, noteworthy books of the year, but I didn't exactly – you know what I'm saying? It's like it's okay. Like there's books that I'm buying so, that so are you're, okay. So you're saying that your noteworthy books of the year bar is pretty low. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. I guess that's what you outed me as saying. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is a weird episode. You can tell the both of us are slightly nuts this week. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. It's Everyone's going to be like, is, are Graham and Jeff fighting? I can't tell. Like, are mom and dad fighting? They seem to be, like, snapping at each other a lot. <laughs> Alan Moore's, honestly, Crossed 100 was okay. I didn't really bring it up because I just didn't have anything to say about it. But it was not – it wasn't an active, like – Oh, I really didn't like that. It, oh no, 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 no! I didn't think no that was tomorrow stories. Just... You know what I mean? But it's you know. It's... Oh man, it's no tomorrow stories. That I feel like that is damning with fame praise as well. <laughs> well, I, I meant it's tomorrow no stories. cobweb. We'll see, and that's it. Tomorrow stories was the title that if it had been coming out, if we'd been doing the podcast back when the ABC books were coming out, I'd be like, "Oh, Graham, this fucking what is he thinking?" Kind of thing, like you know. Just well, that, uh, what were they called? Gray shirt and cobweb and uh, uh, Jack B. Quick. Um, and the, the, what was the Jim Bakey strip? Uh, it wasn't the Fighting American one. Yeah, it was Fighting, fighting American. American. It was Fighting yeah. American. Yeah, he took the Fighting yeah. American because I don't remember if it was public domain or they had the rights to it or how they worked it. But yeah, and and that was that. It was just a combination of like back in the day, I was like, oh, Alan Moore doing you know eight uh, an anthology of eight pagers. Fabulous. And him being funny, great. And that was really the turning point of like, mm, hope he sticks to the serious stuff from here on out, you know? Because it was exactly. like... I, I just remembered what Alan Moore's comedy is like. Yeah. No, I like his comedy. This was stuff... I liked his oh, stuff. Oh, really? In, like, I, yeah. I, I think his comedy has always been on the... Um, I don't find it particularly funny. <laughs> yeah, but let's face it, Graham. You find Alan Moore's career is on the I don't find it particularly blank side of things, don't you? No, I think technically he's a, he's a genius. I just... That's not what interests me about comics. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, like, I think he's... I think he is... He is a great comic writer. He's just a comic writer who's never quite connected with me emotionally. And yes. so that dooms him. Yeah, yeah. It's the, I know. As I tease you. It's, it's I, like it's Hickman. It's not a thing. Yeah. 
Right, which I mean, which I can see, and at least Hickman. And I, 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 I should say right now, I am not for people who are looking to kill me now. I'm not saying they are are of equivalent talents. Oh I'm yeah, just saying I have a similar response with both men's work. I was going to push for clarification on that point, but I, I was like, I, that doesn't need clarifying. I mean, even if you do think that, that's totally fine. Crazy person, you think what you want. <laughs> exactly. That's whatever you say, Graham. Whatever you say. So part of me is kind of like, I think, it, it, like there's this uh, lost opportunity to be like, oh, well, okay, Graham, like, you know, let's map out like which companies should be bought by who for maximum. Like my thing is, is I sometimes think that DC would be better off trying to buy Dark Horse, except Dark Horse is probably still too big to be bought and overvalues itself too highly. And who knows, maybe on the bottom line of their publishing sheet, you know, <laughs> all that, all that discounted Star Wars, you know, graphic novels at the end of the year really helped uh, increase their bottom line there. To, to carry them through the lean months. Uh, I think that Boom and Dynamite should merge. Mm, and, really? and I've thought that for a really long time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think they both uh, exist in such similar spaces mm -hmm. and their books are of such similar quality. And I'm sure both companies are going to take extreme offense at that. Yeah, interesting that they, I bet they both would, right? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but do different things. Mm -hmm. That I think that if the two companies just merged, it would be a better company. And also, boom dynamite. Right. There you go. They're I, asking it, for See, this it. is the problem. Right um, off the bat, they're, they're like, no, it's gotta be dynamite boom. Like, exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. Cause and effect. We're gonna call ourselves Dynaboom. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which sounds like a failed diet drink from the 70s. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> Have some Dynaboom. You'll feel great. Um. I I think DC probably would happily buy any company out there right now. Yeah, probably. They're just uh, kind of like, can I, we buy I Marvel? Think, you, know, you know what I'd love to see and will never happen? Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd only love to see it if significant changes happened at the head of DC. Mm -hmm. DC buying Fantagraphics. <laughs> I would like to see Fantagraphics with some serious money behind them. Yeah, I you know it's so funny. I'm like that, that's what also what it comes down to. I would want DC to buy French graphics, and for DC to have no control over what French right. graphics does, exactly. just buy for all them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, honestly, to from what it sounds like, from what Groth, well, let's just keep it in the world of yes, in a perfect world, that would be fantastic. Because honestly, every time I turn around, I I really. Like I said, after being unable to buy Mega Hex in print, I'm I'm halfway convinced that the the next fan, great Fanographics Kickstarter is about two years away. So um, maybe I'm being overly pessimistic, and it's actually four years away. But yeah, <laughs> I think I think that actually would be kind of great. I don't know. I uh, just I would know. I wouldn't want Marvels by anyone. Yeah, absolutely not. Just, 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 all right. Looking at the history of Marvel purchasing companies or yes. American companies, I wouldn't want Marvel to buy anyone. Yeah. Um, well, a DC Dynamite thing would have been interesting had it happened. Yeah, DC Dynamite would have been interesting. I did not really see any point to it, but I guess I, I could see it. The thing that's tough is it is, it is worth remembering that DC, uh, bought humanoids and, and, and bungled it badly. 
that no, they was didn't. by Human Rights. Didn't they just have a, a licensing deal with their, like their their 2008 deal, which was equally equally terrible? Yeah, I thought for some reason they bought Humanoids and then and then released it. You know, Humanoids US, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's DC. Maybe it was a licensing thing. A distribution deal. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm super. I, I totally, always thought it was just. Let's see. You're probably uh, right. I'm on. I'm on the Wikipedia page here. Yeah, right now. In mm-hmm. January 2004, Humanoids signs an agreement with DC Comics aimed at integrating Humanoids publications into the DC Comics catalog. Yeah. Uh, DC obtained distribution rights for English language versions of Humanoid works. Right. And that's it. Okay. You're right. Oh, wow. And it only lasted a year and three months. Three months because it was – A it, year and three months. That's nothing. It was done terribly. It was such a huge fuck up. Oh, my God. It was amazing. Also, what – but when you read further, you just look at the fact that Humanoids just has either had terrible luck or just doesn't work in American market. In 2007, they signed an agreement with Image Comics. And then in 2008, they signed an agreement with Devil's Due. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the castle of the devil's due, mm-hmm. and started mm-hmm. publishing themselves. Right. Well, because they have this thing of you know, humanoids U.S. try goes in, does stuff. People complain that they're not doing a very good job of it. The the distribution arm, the French arm, listens, tries to cut a distro deal with someone else, and I don't know how it happened with Image and Devil's Due, but. Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, I guess – I don't know if everyone walks into it thinking they're going to be able to get their hands on, on Mobius's work, which always turns out to be super problematic. But in the case of what happened with DC, you know, humanoids – the US had been slowly running into problems with their publishing and publication schedules but had been putting out work over a number of years. DC took that stuff and then changed the formatting drastically and it's and and essentially was it was this like their 2080 thing where all of a sudden everything's a really weird size i think so i mean they as far as i can tell they were like oh yeah we, we can totally publish this stuff you know but in order to get it on the shelves it's got to be the same size as all of the rest of our dc superhero graphic novels so, yeah that's pretty much what they did with 2080 and it was horrible yeah exactly so it was it was just a ridiculous failure i mean you can get you, the price drops were kind of amazing too i mean you could get stuff much cheaper and of course so much cheaper when nobody bought copies and it was on clearance but uh but i mean it was it was just it was a it was a it was such a misunderstanding of the product that it was a sign of enormous arrogance. And I think that's the problem with DC is like what, like you said, with the fanographics idea is like, yeah, you'd like to believe they keep their hands off. They're not. Really, yeah, that's just it. They never you know? would, especially DC yeah. today. Yeah, totally. DC today would, even would more buy so. it. I, they would buy it and then be like, so now we're doing a monthly Loving Rockets <laughs> with your favorite creators. <laughs> and now we've got Loving Rockets on the CW. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that—that that would be what would happen, and right. it would be like, "Oh, it's it's the it's the it's not the death of Speedy. Oh, it's it's the Speedy gets a stop too. All right then. Oh and no, Speedy's here you go. Gone. It's the best. It's the death of Speedy, but it's Speedy from Green Arrow, so it's a crossover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh man, Jeff, he's not called Speedy anymore. Don't you know he's called Red Arrow and he's called... or Arsenal, depending on what. That's what I'm saying. And or and or Speedy, it's gonna it's still in there. Come on, there's only two Earths he's on right now, Jeff. Come on. <laughs> Maybe he's Speedy on Earth three. But that's that's oh, not man. Oh my god, DC correcting is the best correcting. I have to say, like you've corrected me about a lot of stuff in this podcast, and by far that was the most entertaining <laughs> correction for myself that I personally received. <laughs> Everything else. Oh man, this episode, Jeff. You know what was funny? We were totally saying when we talked before we recorded. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What happened? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Like, really, what happened? We were totally down to earth. We were completely sane, and then we just went nuts. I think it was probably me again. It's almost always me. Gra- Graham, I have, let's, we, I have a list of a bunch of books that I want to talk about, but I swear to oh, God, I'm going to look at the Let's go through them quickly. Let's go. Okay. So, I don't know if you remember, but the two books that I was like coolish on that I have sort of quasi reversed, Bucky, uh, Barnes Winter Soldier by Alice Scott and I forget the name of the artist who is amazing. Mark Rudy. Thank you. Uh, those the issue two and three were kind of uh, really, really, if nothing else, incredibly pretty to look at. Like really, really enjoyable pieces of of uh, little serialized illustration work that I enjoyed. Um, but also weirdly, I picked up Men of Wrath number one and bitched about it. It came out like maybe within a week or two of uh, Southern Bastards number one. Jason Aaron and Ron Garney, and I sort of blamed it all on Ron Garney. Um, weirdly enough, I went on to pick up issues two and three uh, and then reread it all at a go because they sat around on a pile forever. And it may just be the fact that I read all of them all at one go. But that was enjoyable. It's very much for people who, uh, you know, kind of the part of Jason Aaron's career that maps to Garth Ennis's. Uh, if people who remember who read Ennis's stuff remember kind of the Vertigo miniseries that he was kind of cranking out while doing Preacher at the same time, it's kind of kind of reminds me a lot of Pride and Joy, like different in many other ways, but just very much in terms of uh, like here's someone who's got one hell of a good B movie in them. Um, and it was a really good B movie. So down with that. Batman Eternal issues 36 and 38 through 40, because even though I have it subscribed, I somehow managed to miss getting issue 37 or I've lost issue 37. That is okay, because as far as I can tell, the people writing Batman Eternal are writing it blindfolded and are given (laughs) drugs that destroy their memory. I frankly think that Scott Snyder and James Tyrion 4 should have tattooed all the plot points of Batman Eternal all over themselves, like a Guy Pierce, and basically people have to come over and try and read the various plot points upside down and backwards on James Turnian Four's ass. That's what it reads, feels like to read this book. Um, some, the art's getting much more consistently uh, great, though. Um, Wonder Woman thirty-seven. We talked about it. Sandman Overture number four. Talked about it. Wilds and number four. Really good, huh? Yeah, I, it, I'm just I'm loving that book, and it totally. And uh, I really like Dan Abnett. Mm-hmm. Uh, burst, especially because uh, I also liked Lawless, his his Judge Drive magazine series recently. Yes, and so I reread that and I reread Wild End. I was like, I really like this, and I'm gonna go and see what else he's done. And then read things that I did not like so much, and immediately went back off. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Abnet is curious because for a long time, Abnet and Lanning had like sort of a certain level of consistency, I think, like yeah, a really yeah. high level of consistency. And now that they've split, Abnet is very much is much more of a wild card, like yes. more high but also highs, but I feel also like he's, low lows. I feel like he's managing to keep up uh, his output. Yes. Going from one person, going from two people to one person. Yeah. And I think that might also be a factor. Yeah. Like, I think he might have hit the point where he's working so much that he doesn't have time to do the redrafts. And so you literally get, like, is he having a good day or is he having a bad day? Also, it completely depends on the artist he's working with. Yes. I think that uh, INJ Cobard papers over some cracks that would be more obvious if a different artist was doing Wild's End. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think Abnett, to his credit, if nothing else, is a very savvy, kind of like Pat Mills, at least back in the day, was a very savvy eye for who to collaborate with. Um, because he and Colbert have done, you know, are doing like three different projects, I think, you know, so it, it just seems like he's he's very aware this works. I know how to make this work. Let me call her this guy, basically. Um, I wish we'd had more time. I'll probably ta- either write about it or I'll he- um, hector you about it next time. But I read the first three issues of The Humans, which I think in some ways is a, a more eye-popping kind of, wow, here's an image book with explicit sex. I mean, admittedly explicit monkey sex. Yeah, um, this is the one that people were complaining about with the first issue, right? Uh, I assume because they should have. Yeah, because there were there was like a God was was it a blowjob. Yeah, it's there, a, there was, yeah. There's there's something that is apparently like incredibly obvious and incredibly front of panel, and there was no warning about it. And there was a retailer being like, "What the fuck, image?" Well, it's interesting. I could have sworn that that the and it's funny because I think I why do I think I read that? I think I read the first two issues digitally. For some reason, oh, I think I was like again just high on cocaine and Patreon money. I was like, I've got to make sure to branch out and try more new things digitally this year. So, and I, and of course, the the humans, which is about, uh, it, it's basically like a seventies cycle exploitation flick, except the. A motorcycle gang of hum- called the humans because they're all apes and this it's basically the planet of the apes version of a of a biker exploitation movie i'm like i will i should exactly. i've got to read so, the shit out of this exactly and i could have sworn it says very mature very very mature all over the place but just the fact that honestly everything that is that was in that first issue and pretty much there's something in each of the following issues um, is more graphic and still available on Comixology than stuff that has gotten yanked and pulled. That sounds wrong. <laughs> than stuff that has been removed or not sold. Stick with it, Jeff. I know, right? Um, <laughs> I, I see what you did there, finally. Uh, it's It's kind of amazing. If nothing else, I thought the flashback sequence, the Vietnam flashback sequence in issue three itself is... Stunning. It's it's not a book that I would recommend for everyone, and of course, I mean that is it is a book that I cannot imagine you, Graham, liking like... at all. Yeah, but it is it's it's funny. I I feel like there's sort of a um. Do we have a term for the sort of strange 
kind of alternative indie, uh, almost grindhousean kind of uh, books that are coming out, like kind of retro, but like super violent. You know, the stuff that you see Ben Mara doing, I, I, or I even Bitch think, Planet, I, or something. Yeah, I don't think there's actually a, a, a an official term for that yet. I'm sure it's just going to become Grindhouse. I'm sure it's just going to start being called Grindhouse. Yeah, it's probably just going to be called Grindhouse. Because honestly, I will say, not that anyone else, I, I <laughs> this is speaking to the devout few of you, if those of you who saw Thou Shalt Not Kill Except, dot, 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 um, either genuinely in the theaters or through the miracle of home video were like, I wish there was a comic book that was like that, but starring with cartoon monkeys in it. It's start monkeys. Yeah. This, this is pretty much it. So, uh, pretty, pretty amazing. Not for anyone, but if you think that it is for you, definitely check it out because at some point it's going to cause a hubbub. It is by far the most extreme, title as far as i know that image might be publishing right now and uh yeah i i I, i'm not surprised that there was a hubbub i'm sort of surprised that it's still around although all that being said it's still not quite more than the sum of its parts but all the parts are kind of amazing uh odyssey number two i did you read that graham no i i did odyssey with number one and was like i'm done See, interestingly enough, your review is what made me come back for number two, because you're like, I don't know if I should recommend this or not. And I read the first issue, and I'm like, I don't know either. And then I picked up the second issue, and I'm like, I don't know what I just read. So it's... <laughs> Wait, here's the thing. I might... Again, I just said, here's the thing. What is with me today? Anyway, uh, I almost did, and then ended up over the last few days... Graham, I, I hate Hello? to cut you off. Uh, Graham, can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I'm sorry, I was just very confused. First off, can you tell me, is there a thing, and where is it? <laughs> where is it? I need to know before we can actually proceed. Jeff, Jeff, look behind you. <laughs> oh my god. Here, yeah, oh, you this, is, this is what the pun's trying to tell you. This should be the name of the Fantastic Four podcast. It should be called Here's the Thing. We can, though, because Alec Baldwin's got a podcast called Here's the Thing. Oh, yeah, but who who listens to that guy? Okay, sorry. <laughs> you were saying. So, a thing about Odyssey. I almost I almost did read the second issue and then ended up reading things that I had just been piling up, uh, mm-hmm. both digitally and physically, that I had not gotten around to for ages and, and thought, very similar to you, I should read things that are outside of my wheelhouse or outside of, of my normal reading. So I was reading things like Mimetic. I was reading Sleepy Hollow comic. Mm. Uh, I was reading, I read the, the collected Casanova, mm-hmm. the, the first thing with all the back matter put back in, which mm. for some reason I really appreciated. Mm. Um, I caught up on all the 2008s that I'd not been caught up on. Like I, I did a lot of that. It was one of those. Yeah. I don't, I don't care about Odyssey enough to, to read the second issue. Yeah. Like, there are other things that I could be reading. Interestingly enough, some of the books that I read this time around had a little bit of the, like, Odyssey number two, God help me, is like, I will read it, I'm not going to put too much effort into it, and then kind of like, it'll be done. You know what I mean? As opposed to something as daunting as, like, uh, th- like I was shocked that I read those Batman Eternals. I actually was like, I'm just going to put them aside and come back to them later. And I was, try- I was trying to, like... Un- Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number one. Did you read it? I know. I haven't made the story this week. Oh, okay. Oh, right. I, I 
see, and this truth comes out. I will be curious to see what you think. I enjoyed it. I have to say, I thought it was a very fun read. Uh, Ryan North is a guy whose work I really appreciate, you know, despite the fact that I haven't, I didn't make it through more than two issues of the Midas art and which is another one that I read. The Midas touch is, is another, Ah, yeah, Uh, you did. And, uh, good. Yes. Uh, it was cute. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I couldn't really say much more than that. It's, it was, I had this, I had to keep reminding myself, Oh, this is Ryan North who writes dinosaur comics a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, because I like that Ryan North. <laughs> this this Ryan North, eh, not so much. I so think the Midas Flesh is what it's called. Midas you know. Flesh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that I think that you'll like Squirrel Girl in that it is very much the Ryan North of dinosaur comics showing up. Um, okay, very, I, I very I much read Squirrel Girl, but yes. I have very li- I had very little interest in reading that comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, Squirrel Girl has always struck me as a very obvious sort of joke, but somehow between the art and North writing, I was like, I'll go with it. You know, the fact that she fights Craven the Hunter, I'm like, okay, why not? I cannot imagine in a world where Charles Soule's She-Hulk can't make it past issue 12 that Squirrel Girl will make it to issue 8, but I could be wrong. You know, um, uh, I still remain vaguely convinced that She-Hulk could have continued if Sewell was not going to write a second in humans. Mm, interesting. That that that's that could well be the case. A second in humans title does that seem insane? That does seem insane. Yes, right? it seems absolutely insane. It okay. seems very much like Marvel is desperately trying to make the Inhumans a thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, there is that. Boy, that's for you. Cool. You come on, come on, you guys. You've been loving Inhuman for a year, right? Here's uncanny humans. <laughs> First of all, it's plural, and secondly, they're uncanny now. They're uncanny. It's the guys who killed off Wolverine, and you know how well that sold. Did that sell? Did that really? Sell uh, I looked. Or? Yeah, I looked at the top ten most ordered books uh, for Hollywood Porter for 2014, mm-hmm. and three of the four issues of Death of Wolverine were in the top ten. Wow. Well, there you go. And Marvel fucking dominated that chart. It was nine Marvel books. Wow. And one image. And that was the loot crate issue of Walking Dead. Right. Right. Holy cow. And another one. It was all Marvel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Marvel, they're here to stay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel confident saying that. Yeah, that that is true. Um... Uh, so Score Girl enjoyed it. Uh, Scooby Doo Team Up number eight, where they meet the Jetsons, didn't work for me as well as the Flintstones issue. But that's just because I don't really dig the Jetsons. I suppose. What? Yeah, I just don't. I just don't. The, I just didn't watch enough of their issues of the, the episodes of the show. Really, I just don't have any fun. I mean, it's it's a, it's weird enough that they're just basically the same template as uh, as the Flintstones in some ways. I just I just never really. They just never rung my chimes. Well, in that case, Scram, pick up Scooby-Doo Team Up number eight. Maybe you'll really dig it. Uh, Outcast number six, amazing coloring by Elizabeth Breitweiser. I don't necessarily know if that book is hanging together at all because I'm not reading it with the attention to really tell anyone whether it's holding together. But it's interesting. It just looks gorgeous. I just, as long as it's $2.99, I'm just like, I will pick it up. It doesn't matter what kind of gibberish 
Kirkman puts in there because the art is fucking beautiful. Um, Deathstroke number three, man, it's My, talk, talk about gibberish that you're buying for the art. Boy, that's for sure. And the A, I was like, mm, not so crazy about this art, but also it was everything. It was amazing how well my review predicted everything that I did not want is exactly what Deathstroke turns into in issue three. Like he, at one point he meets his dad, I guess, I think even he's not sure. And his dad's like, I have the blood of mighty demons in my veins. And this is, please tell me he says it like that. Oh yeah, he does. <laughs> They're like, I have been <laughs> Oh my god. If I sound half that good, it's great. Um <laughs> Flash Gordon number seven. Oh my god, I'm so gonna miss that book. Uh Yeah, right? Oh, oh my god. What are they doing? That book is is just beautiful. I but then was... they're they're all moving over to Shazam for two issues. Yeah. Can't yeah. wait. Yeah, that that'll be gorgeous. But it's it's hard. I'm like, I don't know. Like, even if they do everything, I just I don't know. It's it's like I like this incarnation of Flash Gordon a lot. I just can't necessarily see myself even with the anniversary or the the annual book, which I paid. I felt like I paid exorbitant amounts of. I was like, uh, this is good. It's not that good. Yeah. No. Exactly. This this is good, but it's not. Partner mm-hmm. and Chain are good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and, that, yeah, that was my thought for the Christmas special and the annual. Mm, mm-hmm. There's a Christmas special? Yep. Really? Huh, I didn't yep. know that. That's Talk about being up the old Graham McMillan alley. Uh, oh, exactly, right? Right. And it, it has a, a gorgeous Evan Shaner cover as well. Oh, jeez. So you're like, this will be great! And then yeah. you're like, it's okay! <laughs> Uh, Shaft number one, which uh, arguably on a page-by-page basis was really strong, like the art, like the writing, you know. Um, but Ar- Arguably on a page-to-page basis, that's how everyone wants to review something. We'll see, and that's There's- it. There's the damning with faint praise. Because honestly, I was like, that was another book where I put it down, and I was like, it just felt like something was missing for me. And I think something may be, like, the cover is shaft and then the first this entire first oh, issue you, you got the cover of the dennis cowan and bill sinkevich cover yeah which is gorgeous yeah which is which is gorgeous yeah and so Although the, i like i like the artist a lot i'm just not sure that he or she i think it's a she is yeah. right for for that book uh yeah it'll be interesting to see where uh where it goes i thought the art was really strong it's just that first issue is yeah like the guy says that he's shaft all over the place, but it, it you know, it's a shaft. But it's prequel. shaft. Yeah. yeah. It's and like so shaft year one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, okay, but this isn't like, there just weren't, to me, there wasn't enough cues on that going in. Like, I'm like, okay, like halfway through, I'm like, okay, this flashback can end. We can flash forward to the future where he's like, you know, being hired by the guy who saved his life or, you know, whatever. Uh, and I was like, huh, no, this went all the way through. Like, Okay, you know, there was halfway through it. I was like, maybe we'll get lucky and Shaft will actually end up being Matt Murdock's real father. That'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Star Trek and Planet of the Apes, Primate Directive. Uh, again, sort of the way the Flash Gordon Christmas issue is for you. That everything about everything in that title, all of those words, everything oh, yeah, yeah. that they're that, doing. The title I love, but here's here's the thing again. Oh, my God. Um I am not that into Planet of the Apes. Right. Exactly. You're not, but I am. 
I so am. So this whole title, this is all Jeff. This is like, Jeff, here's your book, Jeff. This should have been called Star Trek and Planet of the Apes, Primate Director, number one Jeff. Yeah, exactly. And so I picked it up, and I'm like, next issue looks great. But I always feel (laughs) – and this is a thing that I feel happens with – I and like here I am generalizing based on the the, the two whole comic books. I feel like whenever Trek does – whenever there's a Trek crossover, um, they spend the first issue setting up how it can happen, and it's just – it's really tedious. Like they did lots of stuff in the first issue to be like, okay, here's, you know, we're having a showdown with the Klingons on this like space time dimensional portal. I'm like, you know what? Sometimes you just got to put them on the fucking planet and fill us up in media res. The the entire first issue. I remember feeling that way about, um, Star Trek versus Legion of superheroes, which I don't know. Did you read that whole thing? Did you read it? Yeah, I did. I did. And I first... read that thanks to the magic of the library. I bought all of Star Trek Legion Superheroes because Star Trek Legion Superheroes. Come on, Jeff. Right. Um, but I've also read the the Next Generation Doctor Who crossover as well. Okay, and this was my thing. I was like, wasn't there a Trek Doctor Who crossover? So maybe I think you're far better equipped to tell me. Do, doesn't it always seem like the first issue is kind of like? too slow to get going like it's way too busy like kind of they it it's track crossovers in general mm-hmm. seem to have and i'm not sure if this is idw because i feel that it's true of a lot of their doctor who comics as well especially that they're you know we're doing an anniversary thing they spend an awful lot of time comforting the hardcore fan right. with a this is how this is possible yes exactly Exactly. Like, I, I, like you know, we will explain that mm-hmm. they can meet fictional characters because, right? And the, right. the Doctor Who things are, are very similar. It's like, okay, here are you know, here is the very specific time frame. Here is the episode this takes place after. Yeah, yeah. And here is the unusual event that happens mm-hmm. to ensure that this can happen right. without interrupting your memories. Yeah, and it's just it's a fucking pain in the, the dick. I got to tell you, I can understand why they can maybe do it because, like, all the Star Trek original generation fans, you know, all pile into their rockers and wheelchairs and, like, run their senior vehicle at the at the IDW headquarters. But it's just it's – just, it's bad. It's really bad. Uh, Abigail and the Snowman, issue one. I picked it up looking for an all-ages book for June. Um, it was okay. I, I really liked the way that Langridge played with full page spreads, which I just don't see him do uh, too often. There was a couple of things there that was nice. Um, McBain number one, which I bought for the fold out poster angle, and that was both fun and underwhelming. Lady Killer number one, did you? I don't suppose you were able. Someone sent you a copy of that, huh? Lady Killers, the Joel uh, Jones, J- and James, yeah, Rich. Joel and James Rich, yeah. yeah. I, I haven't, and I really want to read it, so. Please tell me it's good. Uh, well, let's put it this way, Graham. The good news for you is you have read it, and it's called Jennifer Blood. You just need to – you just can look forward to reading that with Joel Jones art. So. Oh. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll be honest. That's not what I was hoping to hear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe you'll be like, Jeff, no, she's dressed far more ironically. But like all the beats and notes, I'm like, yeah, this is this is the, obviously Jennifer Blood. It would be great if someone had picked that up. Uh, they're not like us. Number one, uh, did you read that? Because that's kind of interesting. No, because I got warned off by someone. 
from that. Really? One. Yeah, I got someone being like, essentially, this, you know, it should be a great comic and it looks beautiful, but it's terrible. Yeah. I, I think that is kind of the Eric Stevenson curse because I thought that Nowhere Men was, was, was deathly dull. And they're not like us, number one. I'm like, it's DP7 meets, I don't know, Death Note. How can I not love that? And the, the, the art is beautiful. Simon Gain and Simon Gain is, is great. Oh my God. And Jordi Belair's inks are perfect for it. Perfect. Um, uh, but it's basically, and I'm like, hey, it's DP7. I'm so glad someone else remembers DP7. This is great. You know, it's really DP7. Um, except with that kind of like sort of cynical but weird D- death DP7 was pretty much X-Men. Yeah, exactly. So you're saying it's like Harpinger. It's a little more like which is, DP7. Which is also – Sure. Yeah, okay. actually, it's true. You're right. Actually, Harbinger uh, is – is yeah, Dar- Harbinger, which is kind of like DP7 meets Death Note. This is the other DP7 meets Death Note book out on the titles as opposed to Deadly Class, which is also the DP7 if they were ninjas meeting Death Note in the 80s. So, yeah. Uh, and then Tooth and Claw and the Autumn Lands. Uh, Tooth and Claw um, – Issues one and two. Holy shit, that is a beautiful or looking book. Autumn yeah. ones, Tooth and Claw. What did I that. say? Did I say, what did I say? You're, <laughs> I'm just giving you shit. <laughs> Damn it! Tooth and Claw and the Autumn Lands, Tooth and Claw. I was trying to refer to them differently. Issues one and two, beautiful book. Oh my god, that book is beautiful. Yeah, ah. it, it, he, he can draw, right? Oh Major my god. Is, is astounding. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I have to admit, I had real problems with that comic. Uh, and it's entirely because of the art. I spent the first issue just looking at the art. I had to read it like three times before I actually read the story because I spent so long just being like, oh, God, look at that. Yeah. Oh, God, that. Yeah, the art is great. I, yeah. Yeah. I think that Busiek blows the timing on the story. Like, I think the story is fine for what it is, but it is – it's one of those weird instances where by the time you get to issue two – that's what should have been the conclusion of issue one, don't you think? Like, there's all this stuff about, like, we're going to bring back the champion, and you kind of suspect, like, oh, the champion's going to be a human, he's not going to be an animal. Like, that's pretty much, like, you. I, I suspected that from, like, I don't know, page three yeah, or whatever. You're, you're like, I, I know where this is going. Right, exactly. And so the fact that it finally gets there at the end of page two, which basically feels like after three issues, because issue one is so jumbo-sized, I was like... Huh, that's a little underwhelming. I mean, everything is done so well that arguably I just feel like it's nitpicking on my point, except I really was like, that's kind of an, it's a strange narrative boner killer if I'm, if I'm this far ahead of you. And especially because of where it looked like where they were going. I, I suppose Busick was going to be like, oh no, the big swerve on the first issue is of course you're expecting to see him and he's human. The point is is that then I blow up the great city of magic and blah, blah, blah. And that's the swerve. But I also was expecting that too. So I don't know. But honestly, as long as well, it looks like that. Mister, I'm smarter than Kurt Busick. <laughs> well, see, that's it. Nobody's smarter than Kurt Busick. And so therefore, I mean, you know, Kurt Busick always Maybe there's a double wins. bluff. Maybe it is. Yeah, who knows? All I know is I just uh, I I adored it. It was great reading it, but but at the same time, I I was kind of like, oh, this isn't this could be like really really amazing, and instead, it was just um, just just a gorgeous read. 
which so many of my comics are falling under that category. Like just, you know, I, I, I'm, I am surprised you're keeping up with them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am too. In the past, that would have been deal breakers, but weirdly, I'm just kind of in that zone where, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of in weirdly in that zone. I don't know why or when that's going to switch off or when it is, I, I guess, but yeah, that is definitely the case. Hmm. Hmm. I so, just, I, cause I, I know I'd give up. Oh, would you? I, 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 I know that if a book was just pretty mm-hmm. and I wasn't getting anything out of the story at all, I know I'd drop it. Mm-hmm. Well, some of it, it may be that kind of the way people are structuring things now, you know, the first trade has become the new first issue, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's, I feel like it is pretty rare for me to drop a book within the first five or six issues, I suppose. You know? Oh no! I generally let the first storyline play out. Yeah, exactly. So, so part of it is like ah, I'll give it there, and if I'm still on board by issue blankety blank, but you know the number of books that I follow where I'm like, oh, it's okay enough. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of them, if nothing else, take a take a break at issue six. Um, and put out the first trade, and then a year later announce that they're coming back with their next arc, and I don't pick it up, and that's that. So, Such cynicism. <laughs> Not cynicism. Synergy. Do you see how I tied that together to the stuff we were talking about earlier, Graham? It's, that's just, it's a thing of beauty, I have to say. <laughs> You're a professional. <laughs> <laughs> the first and last time oh, anyone ever said that about Jeff's podcasting abilities. Uh... So, this Graham, is, yeah, yes, it, are, are, uh, we have about two minutes before you go all berserky buggy. Do you wish to? Oh my fucking god! We have to call back and talk because we're giving away these. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Oh, Graham, why didn't you tell me sooner? Uh... You were very excited to do what you were doing, <sighs> listeners. We are going to be back in just a second. I'm going to hang up and call Graham back, and then we are going to give away some amazing things to listeners like you. Stay tuned. (laughs) Professionalism. (laughs) That is a million times meaner. That really is. That's like the you know, perfect you... <laughs> there's a banana peel, go step on it, Jeff. That is oh Graham, there are times that I forget that your capacity for bitchiness is almost oh, it's just it, it's it's amazing. You don't know what I'm holding in all the time. Oh my god. Oh my god. This is I really owe you a debt of gratitude. I you need like a little thank you note or something for not being that mean to me all the time, because that is <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Anyway, I'm going to probably keep this part in. But so uh, – definitely should. It's hilarious. Um, although you, you probably shouldn't because the reason I was saying professionalism was you could just cut all of this out. You can just go from us saying something to then – Oh, I probably just, will. Just we're calling back. I've done that for – yeah, but, but, but in case I don't, in case I don't have a perfect match, then I can do it. Or like sometimes if the sound quality is insanely variable, you know That's, what I mean? Yeah. So – so it's Good. almost like me being professional. So, yeah. Exactly. Okay. 
And we're back. We are. My goodness, and I'm so glad we are because, listeners, I have in my hands four copies of the Rogue Trooper Last Man Standing trade that came out from IDW a little bit earlier this year. Gosh, which one's the signed one? Um, I think you've also just given away that one of them is signed, Jeff. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't spoil it totally. Yeah, I did kind of spoil it totally. Uh, I anyway. I didn't say which one was signed. I, yeah, exactly. I didn't say who signed it. Maybe I signed it, Graham. Did you ever think of oh that? Oh, my God. That would be hilarious. That would be terrific. <laughs> just start giving out signed trade paperbacks. Thanks for listening. Jeff, enjoy this. <laughs> oh, please tell me you will to the other copies. <laughs> That would be really funny. That that would be pretty funny. Uh, Brian Ruckley, who is a listener of the podcast and a very patient one, I have to add, uh, made it a point to get us these issues. Um, he had written the the issues. God, what did, was this? Collect issues one through five, uh, one through four. Uh, unfortunately, the series got cut a little bit short. Um, but is and even though I was not, it, you may list, you may remember, I talked about it with kind of a because I was not crazy about Alberto Ponticelli's work. Um, he didn't really uh, turn my crank on uh, Frankenstein, Agent of Shield. Um, but I, I have to say, having read the entire trade, uh, I went from okayish about this incarnation of Rogue Trooper to, to liking it quite a bit. Um, Rogue Trooper is such a great idea, um, great concept. And I appreciated the fact that Ruckley really kept so much of the stuff from the original um, Jerry Finley Day uh, arcs. Um, you know, the changed it around a little bit. At first, his, his Rogue Troopers, like, maybe a little more glib than I would like. But... Um, all of which is to say, these are lovely books, and uh, Mr. Ruckley, uh, in a moment of generosity that I'm sure he's regretting to this day, made sure that we got four trades, one of which signed by him, that we could give away to the listeners. Graham, how do we do that? Um, okay, I have the following contest in my mind. Beautiful. Listeners, if you have read Rogue Trooper, or if you haven't, because I'm about to explain it, uh, Rogue is, as you might expect, a Rogue Trooper. But he is not alone. He has three biochipped companions who are his fellow troopers who have been killed, but their consciousness are now stored on uh, electronic chips. They can talk. Jeff and I, to all intents and purposes to you listeners, are like those chips. <laughs> you never see us, you carry us around, and we talk. So, Rogue's biochips are called Gunner, Helm, and Bagman. Because one goes on his bag, one goes on his helmet, and one goes on his gun. What biochip names would you give Jeff and I? This is genius. And what piece of equipment would you put us on? How the hell do you... Well, but wouldn't that... Wouldn't that... Okay. Like... See, I think that you can't just say, I'd call Graham Boots and put him on my boots. Like, no, no, it's got to be better than that. Right. Come on. Okay. If we're, if we're going to be choosing, you have to actually try. You can't just be like, I'm going to call him Shin Guard. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I'm saying is, is that I, in other words, I like the idea that you were going to name us after some trait that we had, per well, se. Well, ideally, someone will. 
I see. And come up with a piece of equipment that match. Okay. Well, let's go with that then. All right. Graham, you're so good at these contests. I swear to God, I do not know how you do it. Um, everyone, Desperation is the mother of invention, Jack. Not for me. It's actually – no. It's the opposite. <laughs> Desperation actually tends to be the mother of like my throat going completely dry and me panicking. So um, – so yeah, so uh, please email to us. Yes, waitwhatpodcast at gmail dot com. You have approximately because I know we're we're not. You have two weeks basically to to yeah. get your thing in, and we will announce the winners. Super excited about this. A little sorry that we didn't get to do. Weren't you going to have the which one of like Santa's reindeer would be a biochip buddy if we if we'd done this back on Christmas? Yeah, but sadly, we didn't. We didn't. Get I know. I'm so sorry about that. It really is. No, no, no. That was that was both of us. Yeah, it, the blame is very much shared in that one. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I I am looking forward to hearing what people think of us. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I will say is I have pointed out myself how many times I say here's the thing in this episode, which means that while I fully expect people to give me shit on Twitter and comments, you you cannot use that for the contest. You cannot come up with some name. Based on the fact that for some reason I'm weirdly addicted to saying so here's the thing. It would be great. You'd be like a – not a GPS thing. I guess maybe. I don't know. Anyway, sounds great, Graham. Thank you for excluding yourself for that. Everyone is – even though it's clear that I've talked about all my shortcomings uh, and then Graham pointed out a few I didn't know that I had, leaving me <laughs> even more of a shell of a man. Everything's <laughs> fair game with me. Wait, so. wait, now I feel bad. <laughs> oh, it's too late for that, Graham. Sorry. Oh, crap. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. Okay. I'm very glad. Oh, yeah. So that's that other thing that we have to do, I suppose. Um. <laughs> What's the other thing? Uh, the Umper Bay. Remember the Umper Bay that we're supposed to ecord ray? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say that after we stopped recording. Oh, okay. See, you're on top of things. I'm just yeah, like, oh, I... shit. Okay. Uh, we have a few more minutes, although we're running so absurdly long. We are. This is a very long one. I know. And people are going to What you could like, do is you could cut out all of the me saying here's the thing and you'll probably save half an hour. Oh, but then I would release that as a separate <laughs> file. Oh my god, wouldn't that be wonderful? That is that that is a Patrick extra. That that is so tempting. Yeah, all right. That's something people <laughs> congratulations, people with the digital grab bag. You've hit the jackpot. Um Actually you have, because we were talking about releasing something we were talking about earlier. Yeah, that was, exactly. That we ended up talking. Yeah, yeah. You uh, may get extra snippets. It's twenty fifteen, people. Mm-hmm. Uh Jeff and I are, are at least I am, and I'm, I've, I think I can speak for you in this, Jeff. Uh, we're going to try and be a lot more active uh, with our Patreon mm-hmm. uh, supporters and with the digital grab bag and with the Tumblr and basically trying to do a better job of doing of managing the mechanism that we ourselves set up. Yes. Uh, yes. Last year, you we are we are now over five hundred dollars a month, which is mind bending mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we were saying in the conversation before we started recording, makes us both weirdly nervous. Yeah, for sure. Um, so thanks for making us just feel a little bit nervous and awkward about doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. Cheers, everyone. Um, <laughs> you can't blame them, Graham. That's just not cool. Uh, I was actually going to say, really, seriously, thank you. It's, yes. it's, it's humbling. Uh, and Jeff and I do not... We get humbled on a regular basis, but we're not 
by nature humble people, but it, it's really thank you very very much for this. Yeah, yeah for sure. It, it it is, um, and we are we are super grateful, and we we hope we will continue to make it worth your while uh, coming into 2015. We certainly have or to start it. making it worth your while, depending on how much. You <laughs> exactly. I would think that if they would feel that we were making it worth their while if they contributed in the first place, Graham, don't you think? They might just have been really hopeful that we'd up our game. That that's it exactly. Like oh boy, can't wait for these guys to get good. Thirty dollars a month. <laughs> Um, it's like irradiating plants they're just going to bloom um, people kept watching Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a whole year that'll be me thinking it was going to be getting better and it didn't <laughs> Graham next time we talk we still have to talk about Gotham the TV show because oh my god Gotham the TV show uh, I'll, we should talk about Agent Carter did you see Agent Carter? no I, I did not Oh, then yeah. try and watch the first couple of episodes and then next time we talk well that's not true Two times from now when we talk, That's Jeff. right. We'll talk exactly. about that because next time when we talk, ladies, gentlemen, people who do not belong to either of those self-identified genders, we are going to be talking about the Fantastic Four. That's right. The first 12 issues. Jump in now if you want, if you can. Um, of course, some people have mentioned – this has actually been incredibly heartwarming. The number of people who are like, oh, I've joined Marvel Unlimited and I'm going to be reading along, you know. Yeah, I, I, I'm really looking forward to that aspect of it, as we said. Because when we did the Avengers, we were somewhat haphazard about it. I think that's fair to say. Yes, yeah, for sure. Uh, our plan for the Fantastic Four is that we will try and give you an idea of where we're going to be reading to next. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you can read along and hopefully tell us what we missed in the comments. Yes, yeah, exactly. So yes, so the next episode of Waywalt will be uh, not necessarily an episode of Waywalt, but an episode of our Fantastic Four reread. Yes. We will be doing the first twelve episodes. It's our first twelve issues mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, by Mr. Stanley Lieber and Mr. Jacob Kurtzberg. Nice, um, and it's a really odd read. I had actually forgotten how weird they were. Uh, <sighs> And then, like, I reread the first four or something, and I was like, this is, this is, you can totally see where they, how they got to where they got to, mm-hmm. both in Fantastic Four, but also in their, their later careers, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of stuff in there, so I'm really looking forward to talking about the first 12 issues. I'm, I'm, I am too. Of course, I've got to get my act together and read them. It, are there, oh. what's that? Yeah, I know, I know, and I, I will, I will do it. I don't doubt it. But Graham, is there anything before we go that you did want to mention that I we left out because I was busy being a super crabby pants? Any comics in particular that you wanted to mention, or other things we might have missed? No, I feel like I was leading the conversation far too much this episode. Anyway, I've I've said my piece. My goodness, huh. funny. I would have said the same. All right, um, for myself, not for you. It would be great. Yes. You were, Graham, leading <laughs> yeah, it way you too are. much. You, ha- you have said enough. Yeah, exactly. I'll say you have. All right. Uh, so, listeners, please come back next week for the first episode of our Fantastic Four podcast. Do we have – we're thinking of going by a different title and a different number just to be able to keep it straight. But believe me, you can find it at the same place. It will be on the Wait What RSS feed. So and the way that you get this program, you will automatically get that program. So don't be scared. Just if we start referring to it by a different name. Do we know what that different name is, Graham? Have we we don't. We've, we've gone back and forth, but we haven't actually decided yet. That'll be something we should do soon. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I'm like, 
fucking fuck. Okay. Uh, well, Graham, uh, do you want to sing us out then, and we will we will call it a night? No, I don't. First of all, I want to say we're on waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. Yes, we are on waitwhatpodcast on Twitter. Uh, we are at well, patreon.com forward slash waitwhatpodcast. And now I will sing us out. No, wait. You should mention with right now we are currently supported by 93 patrons and we're incredibly grateful for it so thank you no yes bye beautiful beautiful just great (laughs) 